Hey everyone, just a couple of notes from your horror host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson here. First of all, this episode was recorded a little while ago. I intended it to be a bonus episode, but I figured I might as well just put it on the main feed because while our Patreon's not that big yet, we kind of just started it up, so I hope you enjoy. Also, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Stephen Izzy from the Everything I Learned from Movies podcast. We have kind of a partnership going on with them. Uh, so, if you don't mind, go check out the Untidy Venus Etsy shop, where you can get all sorts of cool crafts. I got one of their enamel pins with the logo from the podcast. It glows in the dark, and it's wonderful. You can check them out at uh, Untidy Venus on Etsy and use the promo code BLOODY to get 15% off of your order. And I forget to say, uh, this is how I end it at the end of the podcast. So, this is how I begin it. If you're feeling lonely today, come along and throw your cares away. We're really glad that you're our friend. And this is a friendship battle never Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I'm your host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson, and this is the first of the BBW Lovers Bloody Bits Weekender episodes. And, uh-oh, who's our guest this week? None other than Bloody Bits All-Star, Bobby Trippett. Oh, man. I had such a great time last time, Eddie, and now I'm back. Back again. You know, uh, that I could really shake them down. We are going to have a, a lot of fun here tonight, Eddie. Oh, are we going to have a lot of fun tonight? Oh, now for something <laughs> completely different. We are. This is, this is going to be something. So normally we cover horror, horror-themed things, horror movies, something of, of that nature. Tonight, tonight, Bobby, what are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about the, uh, the intersection of two of my greatest loves. We are talking about when horror meets pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're going to call it in the ring, Eddie. Oh. <laughs> this is very much like what introduced me to the Grind Bin podcast, which is the Joysticks episode. <laughs> Wonderful. I love video games, and I love tits. And I, I mean, remember seeing... great tastes that taste great together, right? Yeah, exactly. It's peanut butter and chocolate. And I remember seeing the Joysticks um, movie in the boob section of the of the uh, video rental place. <laughs> I never watched it, and then I was searching for it later on, and I saw the Grind Bin podcast. And that that's actually what got me listening to you guys. That's astounding. And I'm, I'm, mm. glad, I'm glad that it was an episode I was not on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's best <laughs> if I bring it up. I don't think I joined the show yet at that point. No, this was like episode... 14? I mean, it's early days. 16. It's way back it's, in the day. It's the Chris Hughes era. Yeah, man. Chris Hughes. Wow. Remember that guy? Yeah, remember him. I mean, <laughs> you are an occasional guest on, on the podcast. Absolutely. So. As anyone who listens to my show will tell you. 
I'm by a, the a, way, recurring guest star. Uh, promotion for that. Go to patreon.com forward slash grindbin. Subscribe uh, like I do. You have to do it. M- one of the best podcasts out there. Oh, thank you. And, and honestly, and I mean this sincerely, um, I feel the same way about yours. Like, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Bloody Bits. I've, I, I've said on my own show that uh, I hate how much I like Eddie's show. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I think too. I like it better than my own. No, 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 no. That's that's incorrect. So tonight we're talking about the intersection of horror and wrestling. Because uh, uh, you know, with wrestling, it's a it's a very varied form of entertainment because it's uh, it's violent theater, and you can dress that up in any genre that you want. Uh, there, whatever your particular passion is, there's a wrestler who's doing that. Yeah, wrestling is politics for people who don't think they're smart. <laughs> I would say um, it's funny because, like, I was just talking to my wife about this. the The theatrics of wrestling, and, and specifically the the South Park episode where they're all backyard wrestlers, yeah. and it it eventually evolves or devolves or whatever way you want to look at it into putting on a full like Shakespearean production. <laughs> where there's very little wrestling actually taking place. And I think horror is the genre of wrestling where they really, really, really kind of embrace that. I mean, sure, they have the bloodiness and, and the the kind of the over-the-topness of the theatrics, but my God, this list that you've given me and what I've watched, wow. <laughs> yeah, you've had a time. See, for any, listeners, I've, I've sent Eddie a, a playlist of sorts. I was like, here, watch these. Uh, because as I understand, Eddie, you uh, you watched wrestling uh, for a time, and then you kind of dropped off, right? Yeah, I used to be super duper into wrestling. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so I was uh, part of the whole Portland wrestling thing that happened. Which back was a in hell the, of a scene back in the eighties. Huge scene, huge scene. So we had uh, the, the I think the three biggest wrestlers that, that are of note from there would be. Um, the person who dressed up like Beetlejuice, who called oh, himself uh, the was Big that Juicer. Brad Armstrong? Yes, Brad Armstrong. As the Juicer. As the Juicer, yep. Then you have the Grappler. Ooh. Who was a masked man, and he had a, a, a fake orthopedic boot that he would kick people with to, to knock <laughs> them out. And my personal favorite wrestler for the longest time, Scotty the Body. Fantastic. Who? Casual wrestling fans may know under a, a different moniker. Mm-hmm. Scotty Too Hottie. That's the one. Absolutely. Scotty Wait, Flamenco. <laughs> uh, they may know him as the one and only Raven. Mm-hmm. ECW star, WCW star, WWE? Or, yeah, it was E Briefly, when he came yeah. in. He was Briefly, there for a yeah. little bit. Uh, hardcore champion for, for, for a minute. And actually a guy who runs a really good podcast. If you... If you ever wanted to tune into that, um, Raven, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> I, I watched that for, for quite a time. I actually went to a couple of their live events. Uh, at Ra- Rowdy Rowdy Piper was there for, for a moment as well. Absolutely, because I think he's a Vancouver guy, so it wasn't too far for him to travel. So he did a yeah. lot of Pacific Northwest uh, time before he came to the WWF. Mm-hmm. And it was fun because you, 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 if you bought uh, a ticket to go to see Portland Wrestling, you then got a free ticket to go to Sandy Bar's Flea Market, which was a massive flea market in Portland, Oregon. That's fantastic. <laughs> that you could go to afterward. It was a really dope flea market. And it kind of harkens back to the origins of wrestling as being like a, a wrapped up in, in a carnival 
right? Oh, 100%. Would... That was the origins of it. Exactly. So a carnival would travel, and, and uh, uh, you would have a wrestling show that was going on alongside it, which is where a lot of the kind of interesting language of wrestling came from a mark, a work, a shoot, things like that. Where they, they were effectively speaking carny for a while. Oh, yeah, 100%. Or should I say persistent? Yeah, persistent. Because <laughs> they continue to do so. Uh, terms like kayfabe, that, that kind of stuff. But but maybe we won't go so into the weeds about that kind of stuff. Yeah, this won't be a, this won't be a terribly inside baseball episode. Uh, I, th- I think we're going to... We're going to discuss in more broad strokes for people who might not necessarily be uh, the absolute wrestling nerd that I am. Yeah. So, Bobby, your I dropped off on wrestling maybe ninety eight, ninety nine. I feel like you didn't, but let's let's get back to the. I hope this is not another tragic Bobby story. Bobby, <laughs> what's what's the origin of your love for wrestling? Um, you know, honestly, it's uh, there will be no tragedy here. I had uh, teenage parents. Okay. Uh, and so uh, uh, I grew up watching just whatever my uh, my mother had on, and she was a massive Hulk Hogan fan. Wow. A Hogan so, Marsh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Big time Hulkamaniac. And so uh, from my earliest memories, you know, we're talking, you know, two years old, I was watching WWF on the floor w- while my mom watched it. So I don't, I don't know a time in my life where I wasn't watching pro wrestling. And uh, wow. and it's just that's one thing that just never shook, you know. I, the, which particular wrestling I watch has changed as I've aged, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's just always been a part of me. You know, it's it's as uh, it's as natural as breathing watching wrestling for a guy like me. So WCW or WWF? You know, it's funny that you ask me that because there was a time I would have said WWF, and I find now in hindsight, I've I really enjoy WCW more. Okay, WCW or ECW. Uh, I think I'm still a WCW guy, frankly. Wow. Uh, I I got way into ECW in the late '90s, or, you know, early 2000s, back mm-hmm. when they were hitting because they were the they were the edgy, cool, like counterculture wrestling. <laughs> you know, they yeah, the, they were punk rock. Absolutely, and uh, and the energy of that definitely holds up. But uh, but I don't know the quality of the of the actual wrestling itself, aside from a handful of talent, uh, isn't that great to go back and watch. Uh, much like I feel about late '90s WWF, you know, it's like, yeah, we all fondly remember The Rock and Steve Austin and all that, but like, man, there's not a lot of great matches going on back then. No, no, not really. So, oh my God, to to get into how horror enters into wrestling, the first thing that you you linked to me is is WCW, and and I remember like specifically. In WCW, there was, for me, the first memories of it was like the Dungeon of Doom, right? Oh, yeah. So you had the, the, the guy who kind of was writing the stories, uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, he was sort of the lead producer of WCW. This is back in uh, 1994. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, uh, he had this weird stable of, of freaks and oddities. And their entire mission was to take down Hulk Hogan. Yeah, they had, uh, you know, Hulk Hogan had just signed with the company. He had just come over from WWF after the big, you know, after the 80s. Mm-hmm. And um, biggest star in the wrestling world. And Kevin Sullivan had to come up with a an idea. Because, you know, what they did back at the, at the height of Hulkamania 
was uh, just, you know, sort of monster of the month. You know, they have to come up with these, like, insane, yeah. you know, giant people that, you know, that Hogan could bravely take down to defend America. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Kevin had to figure out a way to do this. And at this point, they're using Ted Turner's money so they can afford anybody. Yeah, yeah. That's how they got Hogan to begin with. Yeah, um, so, exactly. So what he comes up with, you know, Kevin Sullivan was also a wrestler at the same time on the roster. Mm-hmm. And he was sort of a... You know, he had been in a group called the Varsity Club. You know, he was just sort of a generic, you know, no knee pads, just a, a short, stout guy who could wrestle you hard, you know? And uh, and so he needed to find a way to create a storyline for Hogan. And what he came up with was his storyline brother, Dave Sullivan, who had dyslexia and called himself Evad because that's how dyslexia works. Ugh. Yeah, we, by the way, uh, <laughs> wrestling terrible. is famously sensitive. Oh so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of characters that that um, are probably problematic. Uh, like <laughs> we won't get into the gold dust whole thing now. Yeah, I don't but, think we have to. That's not no. really. That's but a blip. It's horrific, but not horror. But the way we used Evad Sullivan was Hulk Hogan was Evad's favorite wrestler, and this pissed off Kevin. Mm-hmm. And so Kevin did what any jealous brother would do. He gave his soul to a dark lord. <laughs> so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. He starts he starts uh worshiping this character called the master. Mm-hmm. Who is this uh this old, you know, a wrestler from a bygone era named uh Curtis Iakea. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they, they covered him in what looked like dust and they put him in a throne and he would he would tell Kevin what to do. And they uh, they brought in a couple of uh, Hogan's old friends to be the the first evil doers to face him. Uh, one being uh, the former Brutus the Barber Beefcake, oh, Zodiac. Not yet Zodiac. At this oh, point, he right was right. called Butcher. Yes, yes. As part of the Faces of Fear, and they also brought in Old Earthquake, and they called him Avalanche to avoid a lawsuit. God damn, um, poor Avalanche. <laughs> and so after Hogan uh, takes these guys down. Well, Kevin has to up the ante, and so, uh, and that's when we get the the proper Dungeon of Doom because the master tells Kevin, he's like, "Hey, you're the taskmaster of the Dungeon of Doom, and so I need you to assemble the the deadliest monsters to kill Hulkamania." Mm-hmm. But before we're killing Hulkamania, we're going to electrocute somebody in a fucking electric chair in this <laughs> Chamber of Horrors match that you sent me. Uh, so WCW 1991. Holy shit! This like, it's, yeah. Let's let's do this chronologically. We'll yeah, return yeah, to yeah. the Dungeon of Doom, but we'll let's, we'll let's, get back let's... to the Dungeon of Doom. But the first thing you said to me, oh my god! Like I'm used <laughs> to WCW in their prime, where the pyrotechnics are so fucking on point. Like oh, they yeah. had the best pyrotechnics. And this yeah, this ain't uh, this ain't Goldberg. <laughs> No, this is the saddest shit because they announced like, hey, we're going to have the Chamber of Horrors and they're announcing the participants in the fight. And it's a star studded affair. It looks Uh, like we should lay out. It looks like, well, well, just just real quick on the pyrotechnics. It looks like some sparklers. It looks like somebody (laughs) attached a sparkler to a fan blade and it spun around a little bit. <laughs> just a just a big old big old ground bluer spinning in the air. Very sad. So yeah, let's let's get but, into. Yeah, it. we should we should set the table for this. Okay. Uh, the Chamber of Horrors was a big gimmick they had in '91 for my personal favorite recurring pay per view, Halloween Havoc. Yes. 
where once a year WCW for um, a little over a decade, I think, uh, would do a Halloween themed wrestling show where they'd have, you know, spooky match uh, stipulations and special characters that would show up. And so for this particular one, they had the Chamber of Horrors where we had a. Uh, two all-star teams facing each other, four <laughs> on four, in a steel cage. But here's the gimmick. Here's the twist. Uh, to win the match, you have to put one of your opponents in an electric chair in the center of the ring and then hit the switch. Yeah. Well, a the man switch, is going to die tonight, Eddie. The switch, I mean. They have some problems with the switch, but we'll, we'll get yeah. into that. <laughs> but let's uh, let's go through who our participants are, because this is, this is wild. Okay, I'm going to try to do this from memory. Yeah, right? let's hear it. So we have got uh, El Gigante. Who are the good guys? Uh, oh, okay, the good guys. This is good. So you've got the Steiner brothers. Absolutely. Rick mm-hmm. and Scott. Legendary. Rick and Scott Steiner. Yeah, yeah. Great wrestlers, great workers. Um, then you have got the man called Sting. Oh, yeah. He was the, he was the Hulk Hogan of WCW at the time. He really was, man, for, for the longest time. And just quintessential 80s wrestler. He's got the bleach blonde <laughs> hair and a rat tail, and he's got face paint and all these neon colors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, oh, was, yeah. it was before he had the bad man called Sting, he does this and he does that song. Yeah. So, so that was good. And the, the final good guy, oh, shit, I'm trying to remember who it was. Bang, bang, Eddie. Oh, no, it was Cactus Jack. It was Cactus Jack, the, oh. the wild card of this team, because he was usually a bad guy. Yeah, that's why, because I thought he was a heel, because it's Cactus Jack usually. And Mick Foley, probably one of my favorite wrestlers. One of the all-time greats, and one of the all-time great nice guys in wrestling, which are hard to come by. Like actual legitimate people who are nice, yeah. Like a person who is actually a good person who got into this violent carny business. Yeah, and had some of the most violence ever acted upon him, except for maybe Terry Funk. Well, certainly, but. and half the time they were inflicting it on each other. But, yeah, true. Uh, but who better to be in the Chamber of Horrors match? Yeah, a guy yeah. like Cactus Jack. Now, Eddie, who were they up against? Well, they were up against Team Two. <laughs> so you had a uh, El Gigante. Absolutely. Which is one of the worst wrestlers I've ever fucking seen. He is god-awful, and he'll come up again later in this episode. Um, uh, he's like 7'7"? Seven, uh, seven? One of the tallest to ever do it. He, they, they, they had a minute where it was like, let's just find the biggest dude we can find and have him headbutt people and then maybe uh, do, do a couple Irish whips, like throw them into the ring. I mean, it's the ripple effect from Andre the Giant. You always need somebody to fill that role. Yeah, yeah, very true. But, I mean, the, I don't know. There, there I mean, were other a... taller wrestlers who did a much better job than El Gigante. Oh, certainly. But, uh, but you know, it, what a match type to put a guy like that in, honestly. There's not enough room for you to do anything flashy anyway. <laughs> you could just stumble around and hit people. Yeah, there's nothing better than putting eight people into a cage match. Like, <laughs> it looked like ants. It, it was so zoomed out the whole time. Anyhow, so so you've got El Gigante, and who else? Uh, we got the Diamond Stud. Oh, yeah. Did you recognize the Diamond Stud, Eddie? You may know yeah. him under a, a different name. Oh, you mean the bad guy? The bad guy. Mm-hmm. Razor Ramon, before he uh, decided he was Hispanic. Before he decided he was Scott Hall. Yeah, um, uh, back when Razor Ramon was actually still just a white dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh 
he he was in great shape in this match. That's for goddamn sure. Oh, he looked like a million bucks. This was obviously a, a big time star. Yeah, yeah. And Meant to be anyway. And well, yeah. we got two more on the bad guys. And who were they? Uh, one of them is the Mastodon Vader. Oh, the big Van Vader. Absolutely. And for anyone who did, who's never watched wrestling, uh, this is just a big, round, beefy dude uh, wearing, like, MMA gloves back in the late 80s. It's like <laughs> and, somebody um, inflated Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, yeah. He was he was a little bit bigger than him. And the thing he was most famous for visually was he would wear red and black, and he wore this weird mask that was just just straps across his face. Yeah, and and in here he has like this weird ass devil horn mask that he wears to the ring. And oh, he that takes classic off, entrance gear. Yes, and he takes off almost immediately so that it can shoot smoke out. It reminds me of a dark helmet from Spaceballs. Like he pulls it off and goes, "I can't breathe in this thing." <laughs> yeah, fuck this thing. What what am I doing here? And the final member of Team Two. Oh, per- perhaps the scariest person oh, in this spooky yes. match. Abdullah the Butcher. Abdullah the Butcher. Who's... Another big round guy who was famous for just just absolutely mangling people in the ring. And I mean legitimately. Like he'd carry a fork in his tights and yeah. uh, and just dig into people's foreheads with it. Yeah, and and he certainly came in uh with a prop. <laughs> uh yeah, it, it it was, again, maybe we weren't so politically correct back in the day of wrestling. There's, there's certainly a lot of that, but uh, what kind of prop are we talking about here, Eddie? It was like a kendo stick with some weird, like, torch or, or what the fuck was on top of this thing? Yeah, I'm, I think the end of the kendo stick is just sort of split. Yeah, yeah. From, from hitting people with it so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you got just eight of the uh, of the wildest people to throw in a cage. It's and, such uh, an insane lineup. Like, oh my god! I, except for Sting, who's like genuinely a decent worker. But other than that, I mean, you've got well, the Steiners were amazing yeah. athletes, but they don't belong in a match like no, this. no, not at all. Aside from Cactus Jack, our good guys are like really out of their element here. But yeah, uh, it's a good thing they had Cactus Jack in there. They needed somebody to kind of set the pace for him. But the thing mm-hmm. is, you know, the stipulation is you got to get him in an electric chair. But This is know, the get, stupidest you, stipulation. <laughs> it really is. And they never tried this again. Um, Thank Aside God. from the electric chair and the big switch in the ring, we also have uh, coffins around the ring. Yeah. And, uh, and chains that you can whip people at and, you know, and, and wrap them up. So you got well, people sort of, uh, but there's not really room to do anything with these weapons. So you have moments where, like, Cactus Jack would take a coffin lid and he can't swing it at anybody. So he just sort of popped it in the air and let it land on somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then you, you do get a really good shot of, of the, uh, uh, the, the stick. The, they describe it as a kendo stick being broken over Cactus Jack's head. Absolutely. Kendo stick being, of course, made of strips of bamboo, so they make a loud crack sound when you hit something with it. Mm-hmm. They split apart, so so it it's, doesn't do a lot of damage, but it certainly looks like it fucking hurts. Oh, I'm sure it does. It probably stings like a son of a bitch. Yeah. But uh, uh, the, the other thing I really loved about this match in terms of presentation was they also debuted uh, some new technology as far as presentation goes. They had the refer <laughs> eye camera. <laughs> was that Nick Patrick with the referee yeah, eye camera? Yes, senior oh, referee God. Nick Patrick is wearing a bicycle mm-hmm. helmet with a camera tape to it. 
Yeah, it's the early GoPro. And Absolutely. Boy, what trailblazers. Does it, boy, does it make you want to vomit when you're watching it. <laughs> yeah, less is more with the referee. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at literally nothing. He's just kind of scanning over, like, hey, there's a guy just laying on a table. There's a guy just chilling. Okay. And, I think he forgets a lot of this match that he is technically one of the cameramen. So he's just kind of hanging out in there like a ref would do. Yeah, like like you're supposed to do as a ref, I, I guess. <laughs> um, but then, like, it also seems like the wrestlers are kind of confused because several times you see them trying to, like, climb out of the cage. Yeah, you really get the idea that they weren't prepped properly on on how to uh, how this match works exactly. Um, yeah. And so it's all just a big old fuster cluck uh, until finally, you know, we have, uh, you know, we have the big moment toward the end. Mm-hmm. We need to get somebody in this chair and then hit the big switch that has loosely been falling down okay. into the on position all during this match. So I told <laughs> my wife about this briefly. I said, okay, so the problem is that the switch keeps falling down into the on position. She said, why didn't they just make the on position up? That would have made so much more sense. <laughs> See, she cracked it. <laughs> yeah. Or at the very least, tape it. Yeah, something. So, so that, you know, Cactus Jack can just rip the tape and then it'll let it fall into the on position. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we we get one of the good guys is stuck in the chair and then uh, there's a little reversal. And uh, was Rick Steiner? Did yeah, a Rick Steiner belly grabs belly. Abdullah the Butcher and gives him a big old suplex into the chair. Mm-hmm. And then okay. he... But, but Rick Steiner's, like, been weirdly interested in the chair the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably like, what the hell is a chair doing in this thing? No one told me. Well, he's like poking it with the stick, and he's like, even though nobody's bothering him, he's in there like looking at it, trying to figure out how it works. Like, there there was a weird way that they were treating Rick Steiner. (laughs) Like, he's uh, uh, sweetly not smart. Yeah, his character is a bit of a simpleton. Is it okay to say that? I'm not trying to be offensive. No, but, no, uh, he he's a little. He is not a smart man at all. Yeah, he's a little Forrest Gump. Yeah, let's say. And so it, it's kind of, I, and you don't know how much of it is, uh, how much of it is him playing the character, and how much of it is just he's not that bright in real life. Yeah, I mean, he seems like a nice person, but yeah, he does a very good belly to belly suplex, puts Abdullah in there, straps and, the thing onto his head. And then, uh, and then, old Cactus Jack yells "Bang Bang" his catchphrase, and he, oh, yeah. and he, and he hits the switch, and oh my God, Eddie, what happens to poor Abdullah? <laughs> well, he's fucking dead. Like they <laughs> electrocute this man, supposedly. And, well, the, and the, the headgear is too big and won't go down on his head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so it's just sort funny. of hovering above him like an angel's halo. And we get like weird sparks shooting out, some smoke. Some like more the, of those fireworks you were talking about. Yeah, some of those cheap fireworks, like the smoke machine. They they put they drop the dry ice into the water, and they actually lit the ring on fire, kind of. Uh, and these poor commentators, they have to act like they're witnessing a murder. Yeah, and it, yeah. it just could not have looked hokier or jankier. And that's uh, I think this was a great thing to start with because mm-hmm. it really illustrates a, a bit of an issue with wrestling's attempts at doing horror in that it almost never goes right yeah they've really stumbled with this really (laughs) badly i i I appreciate the effort i appreciate what they were going for 
Um, you, you have some sort of later, especially with Hulk Hogan in the Dungeon of Doom, where he's got to go through the multi-leveled cage match. Oh, um, they really overthink these gimmicks so often. Yeah, WCW especially. Notorious for that. Way over the top with it. This this didn't really execute well. <laughs> no, but I, I do. It does hold a special place in my heart, though, as many Halloween Havoc gimmicks end up doing. We're just yeah. like, this is it's so terrible. It becomes enjoyable, much like the films we cover on my podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's... you see a through line here of the kinds of entertainment. I uh-huh, uh-huh. There's uh, there's this uh, phrase. Um, it's an old phrase we used to use called waja, which is embarrassment by proxy, right? Oh, yes. So, so you're watching somebody, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? And there are two stages of waja. The first stage is like, this makes me feel sick and disgusting. And then you want to share it with your friends. <laughs> Absolutely. That's exactly that is... where this is. Oh, no question. Anyone anyone who's even uh, remotely interested in wrestling needs to see something like this. Mm-hmm. To see how wrestling could be so uh, brilliantly terrible sometimes. Yeah. Now, this was 1991 over in WCW. I think we should take mm-hmm. a look at what's going on with the Distinguished Competition at the time. Okay. So, same year, 91, WWF. Hulkamania still in full swing. Mm-hmm. Maybe starting to get a little long in the tooth, but we're not quite there yet. Not yet. Um. And so this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is when we're just we're bringing in monsters one by one to <laughs> to face Hulk Hogan and get vanquished for the U.S. of A. And uh, well, we've we've brought a guy over from WCW in 1991 to make his big debut, and this ends up being very significant because there was a guy working in WCW, a young guy named Mean Mark Callis, mm. and he's just a big big ginger, yeah, uh, you know, nearly seven feet tall, just built like a brick shit house. And, of course, Vince McMahon sees dollar signs. Yeah, Vince has a thing with really big dudes. Oh, he likes them big, my friend. Mm-hmm. He likes them big. Almost everybody, in fact, yeah, everybody we just mentioned, I think save for Abdullah the Butcher from that last match, has ended up in WWF at some yep. point. Yep, Um, There's a lot of that happening. You'll hear a lot of that as this episode progresses. People jump into the other companies to try oh, new yes. things. And so what do we do with mean Mark Callis, Eddie? But we bring him in in 1991 as The Undertaker. Oh, yes. Arguably the most successful uh, horror character in pro wrestling. I mean, especially when he debuts, because The Undertaker, as the name would suggest, is an Undertaker by trade. So we have basically an old Western Undertaker. He's in the long duster coat and a big hat. He's in all black. He doesn't speak. He walks slowly. And when he when he first debuted, whenever he'd vanquish somebody, it would seem like he killed the guy. The guy's out cold entirely. He'd mm-hmm. zip him up in a body bag. I think this might be my favorite Undertaker. That really early form, like the gray gloves? Yeah, yeah. He's it's... wearing, like, mortician's gloves. He's got the big rubber gloves on. Yeah, it's better than the black and purple. It's better than the... Uh, uh, Limb biscuit rolling. Oh God, biker taker. We won't be talking about biker taker yeah. tonight. We <laughs> no. will get into as as we progress to other things. The different eras of the Undertaker, though. I did enjoy him in the mask after um, uh, 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 what's his nose broke his fucking face. Uh, that would be King Mabel. King Mabel. Yes. Uh, yeah. A big, fat, like five hundred pound guy did a leg drop and uh, made it a little too real one time, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, actually broke his orbital, and he had to wear a 
a white like a basketball player would wear the protective mask over his his upper part of his face mm. but they uh they painted it up to look like a skull little so fan of the opera character. yeah which was kind of fun so the undertaker debuts in 91 and uh goes after hogan and uh that he is still there now in the wwe it's one yeah. of the, the, the longest tenured pro wrestlers um well, and be- this is where we really he's, start. He's also kind of the, from what I've heard from from people, uh, kind of behind the scenes, is he is the locker room guy, who kind of helps all the new guys when they come in there, tells them like, hey, here's your spots, and, and uh, he he's like a coach a little bit nowadays. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, for, for having been there, he's. One of the most well-respected pro wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet another person who, in real life, uh, maybe not the best dude. No, but, no, but not that, at all. That never matters in pro wrestling, right? Hey, as long as you make money. Now, this is the first time where we're really like pulling stuff directly from horror mm-hmm. for something in pro wrestling. Because one of the things, uh, physically, that The Undertaker is most famous for is he does the Michael Myers sit-up. Oh, yes. Yeah, the 90-degree laying on his back, and then you think he's dead. You think you've bested him. And then just slowly rises up. And that has Mm. been used to such great effect with him. Repeatedly. Uh, Time and time again. So he hits amazingly when he first comes. Like, Mm -hmm. the fans don't know what to do with this guy. You know, we're doing entrances where he's got a vulture on his arm sometimes. (laughs) And, like, we're really going big with The Undertaker. He comes out to just, like, you know, the... The funeral bells, like, gonging, you know, and uh, and we've given him a manager named Paul Bearer. Oh, nice play love on words. Paul Bearer. Picture, uh, listeners, an obese Gomez Adams holding an urn <laughs> and going, oh, yes! <laughs> well, I'm the, with the Undertaker, and we're and going some to kind kill of... you! <laughs> And there's some kind of uh, otherworldly power held within the urn because mm-hmm. anytime the Undertaker looks like he's down for the count, Paul Bearer can just hold the urn aloft, and the Undertaker will respond to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this that, is wild stuff. That and urn it's, is his tether to our mortal coil. Absolutely, and, and this is—I mean, there's there was nothing like this when he showed up. No, because in, in that time period in the WF, it was like you had the Macho Man and the Ultimate Warrior, and it was just a bunch of loud dudes and spandex running around. But this was like a character. You know, yeah. this is fully realized with a, with the depth to it. Yeah, it was a little deeper than the hair metal that we had running rampant in the wrestling <laughs> organizations. Oh, yeah, because everybody just had the feathered hair. We're dressing like David Lee Roth and, you know, pumping <laughs> fists in the air and running oh, in circles. Yeah. And then this this goth dude shows up and he's just choking people. Yeah. Uh, now... Things are going so well, he's starting to get a little bit of sway. One year into his career, he brings up backstage that he's got a friend. Oh, yeah. He's got, the, he's got a friend named Charles, uh, another big strapping, you know, just meat castle of a dude mm-hmm. uh, who's got a hell of a look. And uh, he thinks that uh, that the WWF should give this guy a shot. So he gets him a job. They, they had worked together previously in WCW when he was Mean Mark. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is our second attempt at a horror character because <laughs> they bring him in as none other than Papa Shango. Yeah, that's Are rough. you familiar with Papa Shango? Right? Yes, I am. It's um, <laughs> it's a famous flop of the WWF yeah, history. It's a little problematic. Oh, certainly. And uh, that's something that the McMahons have been uh, 
been known for their entire existence. Yeah, yeah. Being a bit racially problematic. For anyone who doesn't know, Papa Shango is based on the Baron Samdi myth mm-hmm. uh, of Haitian voodoo. Right. So he's got the top hat and the skull makeup, and he's coming out with a stick with some skulls on it, and, you know, dry ice is coming out of it. Yeah, it's it's a little rough. Um, They're trying nowadays to be a little bit better about this shit, but... <laughs> but there was just some unbelievably uh, racist shit. This doesn't even get into the... I don't think this even gets top ten on the racist things oh, that no. happened in the WWE. No, history, no, 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 but, no, no, no. But I gotta tell you, in 92... When I'm eight years old, mm-hmm. I loved Papa Shango. Oh yeah, no, he, that was the he was phenomenal. He, he was a he was a ve- he was very good at cutting a promo. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, just basically by his presence and uh, yeah, like and, and to have somebody pair with the Undertaker at the time, who was probably in the WWF the biggest thing going, like maybe even overshadowing Hogan. Honestly, I sure felt that way back then, and I think that's true at the time. That that was the kids were really into the Undertaker. They wanted mm-hmm. something edgy. Even back then, Hogan was just kind of, kind of the McDonald's. Uh, you know, that's why he yeah. wore the yellow and red. Look, sometimes you you like Bigfoot, and sometimes you like the Gravedigger. Absolutely, and much like Gravedigger overtaking uh. Bigfoot in popularity, <laughs> uh, they never really paired up Undertaker and Papa Shango. They were just like, what if we have another horror guy? Yeah. And what made Papa Shango special, though, is he, even before The Undertaker started to really do it, Papa Shango had supernatural powers. Yes, yes. Which is pretty wild. Do you think of how many people, even to this day, have to inform you that wrestling's fake? Well, okay. Yeah, no shit, dude. I'm watching a uh, I'm watching a voodoo prince uh, <laughs> make somebody's boots light on fire by rolling his eyes in his head. Yeah, it's it's so funny. the The whole like conceit of wrestling is fake. Like, uh, of of course it is. Um, it's the the problem though is that the people that are performing it, the the ones performing it at the highest level, are incredible. Incredible performers. I was actually getting into a, a discussion about this about um, Fred Astaire specifically. Back in the amazing day, pro wrestler. No, yeah, yeah. He few he, people know that he fucked up Paul White. Like, just took him to town. No. Um, so singing in the rain. You've got a man singing, dancing, and 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 acting at the same time. Wearing a a wool suit with fake rain, and the wool suit wore after it was soaked with rain, and and he's dancing up and down stairs. Also, uh, hundreds on of top pounds. of that, uh, Gene Kelly singing in the rain um, was also very sick when he filmed that sequence. Oh, Gene Kelly, sorry, yeah, 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 exactly. He's he's also got like a hundred and two fever while he's doing this. Yeah, and and so it, it's. Then you then you look at wrestling and it's like okay we're we're trying to perform these theatrics while we're beating the piss out of each other, so so the people who are really good at it are incredible. Oh, absolutely, and it really as I mentioned earlier at the top of this that it's violent theater. We're watching mm-hmm. we're watching a a story be told by actors, wherein part of their performance is uh, purposely letting each other kick the shit out of them. Yeah, uh, but. But that said, um, I always find it interesting, the, the people who need to tell you when they find out you like pro wrestling, that wrestling is fake, because that's a great example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm, yeah. Uh, because, obviously, everybody with half a brain knows that wrestling is a show. Right. That it's a performance art. It's not 
No one thinks it's real. Um, no one thinks it's MMA. Uh, but the person who needs to tell you that wrestling is fake in the year of our Lord 2020 um, believes that it is a convincing enough con that <laughs> most people are falling for it, but he's figured out the secret. Yeah. And so he thinks he's bringing you some some hot info that's going to, like, crack your brain in half. You're really telling on yourself for being a moron if you're telling somebody, you know, that's fake, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Good point. It's like a guy at the movies nudging you in the shoulder and going, you know, that ain't really happening, right? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) idiot. I'm at a movie. This is stupid. Jamie Lee Curtis actually comes back later. Like, she's not (laughs) dead. She totally knows that guy. Yeah. Like, like, that guy's name, name isn't even Michael. Yeah. Or, um, horror, Freddy, Leatherface. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, but just to finish up on Papa Shango before yes. we get to that. Okay. Though, um, most famously, Papa Shango would put curses on people. Uh, he had done this once to oh, the Ultimate God. Warrior, where the Ultimate yeah. Warrior came down to the ring. He was cutting a promo, and Papa Shango just showed up and started shaking a bit and w- waving his stick around like he- and muttering to himself. And then the Ultimate Warrior's hair started bleeding. <laughs> like liquid started pouring out from under his, yeah. his big you know, hair metal hair. And, uh, and then he started violently throwing up backstage. This was real fun for the kids. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a great time when you're watching TV. <laughs> uh ultimately you know like i said this kind of flopped they could not catch the undertaker's lightning in a bottle once again Mm. and so uh charles wright would would stick around in the company for a very long time and they'd try out different characters with him eventually he would come back repackaged as a uh in the early days of ufc they wanted to do a a mixed martial artist character so they brought him back as the supreme fighting machine comma Mm. yep and that didn't work either of course he of course feuded with the undertaker his old pal uh, when that didn't work, they repackaged him again as a pimp called the Godfather. <laughs> oh, I love the Godfather with the hoe train. Absolutely. Third time's the charm, though. That's the big character he's known Ugh. for now. Uh, because wrestling fans are high class. Yes, sir. Uh, ourselves included. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had said something. Yeah. About about, uh, about actual slasher movie characters wrestling in a ring. Are you, you mean to tell me this happened, Eddie? Uh, <laughs> so you sent me a link to Freddy versus Leatherface fighting in Japan in 1993. Absolutely. Now, this is a fascinating backstory. Eddie. Oh, my God. Yeah, please explain this. this. Please. And so there was. Uh, Back in the 80s in the WWF, there was a, a guy called Corporal Kirshner. Okay. And uh, he was a, sort of a knockoff Sergeant Slaughter. You know, he had been a real-life Air Force Ranger. They had him wrestling his army pants and all that. I had the little LJN rubber figure of him when I was a kid. Do you remember those, like, the big, heavy blocks of rubber that they oh, passed yeah, yeah, as action yeah, figures? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. They were, God, yeah, I remember they those. They didn't move. They were just hard-molded rubber. By, could, the, by the way, fuck LJN, just, just real quickly, because I love video games. Fuck LJN. Hey, no, no argument from me. <laughs> you want to fill me in on that? What, what did LJN do? LJN literally, well, okay, so this company called Acclaim purchased LJN because Mm -hmm. LJN had the rights to so many different intellectual properties. So certainly in the NES era, the Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember Simpsons seeing the logo. games. All of them had the stupid LJN logo, and they just outsourced the creation of those games to the lowest bidders, typically, and made horrible video games. So, which is which is why famously the Nightmare on Elm Street video game is clearly a different video game that they just added Freddy to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You spend most of that game like jumping over snakes and ducking bats. Yeah, but it was one of the first games that was going to be like eight players because you could hook up two of the nes four scores but yeah fuck ljn anyhow sorry go on i hate it's all good so this corporal kirshner guy uh he was around for a little bit and they were trying to make him a big star you know vince is big on patriotism we got an actual army ranger uh we're gonna go super patriotic with it we're trying to get another hulk hogan going and uh it doesn't work out because he fails a drug test and gets suspended um, and during that suspension, he decides he's just not going to come back. Hell of it. Uh, he, this guy has a bit of an attitude problem. And so what he ends up doing is he goes to Japan and he's mm-hmm. like, what can I do? That's different. What's really going to wow some people? Uh, well, <laughs> Hey, remember the <laughs> we'll Texas see. chainsaw massacre? Oh, of uh, course. And he decides I'm just going to be Leatherface in Japan. And so he puts together a Leatherface outfit. You know, he gets the apron and the outfit and the, the big shirt that's all sweaty and covered in grime. He gets a Leatherface mask, and as a little added bonus, he gives it big dreadlocks. Yeah, that was a weird move. It certainly is more dynamic. You know, if you're sitting in the back row and you're watching those dreadlocks whip around, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. because We're probably also getting one step ahead of the copyright lawyers. Yeah, true, true. Uh, and and the 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 icing on top of this is that he would he would stumble to the ring with a chainsaw, and I, I sent you a clip of one of his entrances where like the mm-hmm. Japanese fans are running for their lives because he's coming through the crowd with a chainsaw. Well, this head. this entire fight is nothing but them stumbling around through Japanese crowds where everybody's running away from them. That is so wild. Can you imagine being in a situation like that? Well, no, and because so- you've got Freddy and Leatherface stumbling at you. With, Absolutely. like, six-foot-long two-by-twos two, that they're trying to beat you with. Oh, yeah. And what happens with this guy, though? He is not the leather face you watched. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the plot thickens, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Because uh, this guy, Mike, Mike Kirshner, playing this leather face, yeah. went to jail for six months for beating up a fan. Oh, that's not good. Not good at all. Um, I don't know the details of what led to that, but I know that uh, he did six months. And during that six months, the, the company that he was working for was like, we got something with this Leatherface guy. <laughs> and so Look, maybe they just not put the him. outfit on another guy. Wow. And so they got a guy named Rick Patterson. And uh, I don't really know anything that he did outside of this. This was sort of his, his thing. And uh, they put him in the outfit. And uh, eventually Mike Kirshner gets out of jail and they go, well, we have a prime opportunity for something here. And so one day, Leatherface is in the ring, and Leatherface shows up in the crowd. Oh, my God. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, these two are going to fight. We're going to get some leather on leather, right? Oh, yes. Oh, no. Brother, brother, they become a tag team. Uh, Leather and leather. Wow. Absolutely. So the two Leatherfaces uh, are taking the crowd by storm. And, you know, (laughs) they're fighting. How are two (laughs) leather? Wow. They okay. loved it, man. They come th- let's you know that was big. The wild man character in Japan who's gonna like start running around and shoving fans and shit. So it's the wild um, man and the wild man. 
Oh yeah, this is like a uh, Japanese ECW. This is where like the as you saw in the clip I sent you, you know, yeah, typically they were Japanese chanting, fans holy being... shit, holy shit. I remember <laughs> that. There was one dude in like a leather jacket and some shorts. He looked dope. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like there were some real like heavy metal dudes out there oh, watching yeah, this. This yeah. is where the the cool people in Japan were Back going. Back in '93, fuck yeah, dope. Um, and so this uh, team of the Leatherfaces ends after an infamous match that I saw when I got a. Uh, I found out about Japanese wrestling when I I bought a tape at a horror convention called Blood, Barbed Wire, and Brutality in mm. Japan. Nice. And this is where I first saw uh, that there was a Freddy, that there were two leather faces, <laughs> there was even a Jason wrestling. Oh God! Uh, and it, it was it was wild. But they had this match against these two guys in Nakamaki and Ono, and f- what made this match infamous. And this is a match where they have like beds of nails in the in the corners, mm-hmm. and you know, like just broken glass. It's like it got real brutal. It's not my not my particular uh, flavor of wrestling, but you know, sometimes it could be pretty entertaining. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, old Mike with his short fuse uh, got mad at his opponents and started uh, what they call shooting on people. Yeah, so shooting is when you actually punch the person rather mm-hmm. than working, which is what you pretend to. Yeah, you stomp your foot, you slap your thigh, you try to make it look dynamic without while minimizing the actual yeah. harm you're doing. Yeah, uh, he's not doing this. No, you know, he's uh, <laughs> no. he's flown into a rage, and now he is actually using the weapons on these guys and actually and you know it, it kind of ruined the reputation of these two wrestlers because you know they were known for being tough guys but it's a character they're putting on right. a show right and so you have these guys legitimately going what the hell are you doing mike <laughs> you know as he's uh as he's like throwing these dudes around on their heads and beating them it's horrible so he uh, never worked there again yeah no kidding so Jesus. they just kept going with with rick patterson as leatherface meanwhile Mike goes to another company, renames himself Super Leather. Super. And he ends up working in that company until about 2002. It was Wild Leather. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so the match I gave you was the Patterson Leatherface taking on none other than Freddy Krueger in Japan. (laughs) This this shit was so stupid. Let's let's hear your thoughts on this, Eddie. Oh, my God. So, first of all, like, I, I... I'm trying to watch it. Leatherface's mask looks like it's going to drip off of him the entire time. Oh, yeah. He keeps having to adjust it, too, because I think it's, like, turning sideways on him so we can't see. Yeah. And Freddy, I mean, uh, he's he's got a mask. I don't know how he can see out of the eye holes of this mask. They he just says, like, Party City rubber masks. Yeah, it's very cheap. And... Like, I don't know, you want to see a guy with a, a chainsaw fight a guy with knife blade fingers, but clearly you can't do that. So instead, they're and, just... And first and foremost, he puts down the chainsaw and <laughs> Freddy takes off the glove. Well, yeah, yeah, Freddy takes off the glove and the chainsaw is actually, he puts it down and then one of the, the refs kind of takes the, the chainsaw and runs off with it. And he looks like he's pissed, Leatherface. <laughs> For safety's sake. Like, hey, get, get get that back here. But, like, no, clearly you can't saw another human being in half. Certainly not. And we've yet no. to try that in wrestling yet. No, um, no, not the, yet. The, the gimmick of this match, though, is it's a barbed wire bat match, which means we have a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire that the ref places in the center of the ring. And, man, they, they treat this thing like it's the Olympic torch when they bring it down to the ring. Yeah, yeah it's given a lot of uh, uh, credibility. Like, like I thought it was going to get its own pyro. 
I thought they were going to like give it some fireworks on the way in. That would have been pretty cool, actually. But no, they don't do that. They just set it in the center of the ring, and, and we have a big uh, knockdown, drag-out fight where most of the time is, is actually spent, like I said, with them chasing each other through the crowd with uh, two-by-twos. Absolutely. And uh, the crowd's eating it up, though. Oh, no, like, the, they are... the crowd's loving it. Like, they're, they're collapsing their chairs and leaving the chairs like, hey, hey, beat the shit out of this dude with my <laughs> chair. Hit him with what my ass was on. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it's just I've never seen a crowd react like this. So ultimately, uh, the match ends finally after a lot of brawling where Leatherface uh, slams Freddy Krueger on top of a table. Not through one, but he lays one flat on the mat and then just drops his head on the wood a couple times. Yeah, yeah. So... And the crowd, like, walks out with him as he's trying to leave. This is like Beatlemania at the airport. It's rough when you see somebody take a bump on a table and the table doesn't break. Like, yeah, that's that always the key. worries me. If the me. table breaks, it broke their fall. If it doesn't break, that hurt a lot. Yeah, it absorbed the impact and, and shattered. And if you don't see shit break, like, that's a problem. Usually. And you can tell by the body language that Freddy is not having a good day at the office. No, he's pissed. Uh, He's like, son of a bitch, dude. You didn't protect me at all. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably why he runs up and hits him with a, a nail bat at the end of the match. Well, what what does he do with the nail bat? Does he hit him with it? or? I think he whacked him once in the back with it, and then he held it against his neck yeah, to imply I, that he was trying to puncture it. But, you know, right. he just... It's wrestling, of course. So he, he held it there for a few seconds right, as we're the crowd gasped. We're supposed to assume that he cut him, but like the, the video clip that I saw was so dark or whatever. Maybe the way they cut it, I didn't see any blood, quote-unquote. Well, certainly not. I think that's why they panned the camera back. Yeah. They're like, we're not going to puncture this guy's neck, obviously. No, of but, course you know. not. We're not America. We would never do that. <laughs> yeah, we're not in some kid's backyard. Man. Like this is We're putting on a show here. It's not but, superhuman. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, all of these horror movie guys, these slasher characters, uh, are famous for this style of wrestling, deathmatch wrestling, they call it, where you, you're not doing a lot of moves back then in the early 90s. You're just stumbling around, you're hitting each other with objects, you're bleeding all over the place, and you're waving goodbye to the crowd. Yeah, you, you're not um, going to see a lot of technical wrestling going no. on here. But, you know, like I said, we got Freddy, Jason, and Leatherface out there in Japan. <laughs> there is a uh, a little person in Mexico who has wrestled as Chucky. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah. Look oh, that up sometime. Yes, there is, a, there is a, a, a mini wrestler in Mexico, a mini luchador, who wears a Chucky mask and some overalls. I have got to see that 100%. That's, that's the <laughs> best. Oh, my God. And so... so- Oh, that was 93, mm-hmm. uh, which brings us to 94. Let's return to the Dungeon of Doom, shall yes. we? Uh, as we said, now the Dungeon of Doom is growing because we're going to take down Hulkamania. We yes. have, we're bringing back all of his old friends from the WWF. We've brought back Haku and the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought back Kamala, the Ugandan giant, which is another racially insensitive character. Yeah. Where we got a uh, a large black man from I think uh, Kansas City, and we have painted him up as a headhunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was rough. Uh, Vader's hanging out, but ultimately we're leading up to a, uh, a you know the, we're leading up to Hollywood Havoc again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the master tells Kevin Sullivan that a giant will appear to kill Hulkamania once and for all. Oh yes. And so at the next big show which I believe was called War Games. Uh, Enter the Giant 
Well, the giant, too. Electric Boogaloo. Absolutely, because uh, in the storyline, he is Andre the Giant's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, in real life, no relation to Andre the Giant. No, no, um, not at all. But was rather a college basketball player named Paul White. Yeah. Who you may know these days, casual wrestling fans, as The Big Show. Yeah, yeah. He had quite a career in professional oh, yeah. wrestling. His first ever professional wrestling match was a world title match against Hulk Hogan that he won. That's insane. Can, Can you, you imagine? No. Man. That's like you decide you're going to play football for a living, right? Your first ever football game is the Super Bowl. Mm. And you, you score know, like, a winning touchdown. Yeah. The yeah. first time someone hands you the ball, you score the game-winning touchdown. Thank you very much. I wouldn't wrestle ever again. That would no. be it. No, you'd go out on, on the up note. But, no, Paul White sticks around for, for quite a while. Absolutely. But at this point... He's green as grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's brand new. He's like 20 years old. He he enters a steel cage at the end of the match, and he snaps Hulk Hogan's neck, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we'll in the see. movies. Like yeah. He just grabs his chin, and he goes, crack, and just takes him out. We'll see another neck snap later, too. Oh, absolutely. Of course, Hogan's on TV the next night perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah, he's but, not dead, uh, so he's fine. But what this sets up is they're going to have their world title match at Halloween Havoc, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a special stipulation, Eddie, before the actual match Ugh. proper, we're going to have a monster truck <laughs> sumo stupidest match. fucking thing. Why would you do this? Because we have Ted Turner's money, and we can do literally whatever we want, so we need to go as big as possible to compete with the WWF. Uh, imagine if there was another company right now to compete with the WWE that there had is. unlimited money. Uh, there is actually a, a company whose owners have more money than the McMahons. AEW, uh, that is a company called AEW. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about them a little bit at the end of this episode. I do yeah. have a, I do have at least one AEW talent to talk about. Okay, but we'll get to that when we get to that. We're still in 1994, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Um, the master also assures us the Giants going to win because we got a secret weapon, and that secret weapon is in this here block of ice. <laughs> this is the stupidest shit. This is one of my favorite eras of wrestling, by the way. Oh, mine too. I think this is why oh. I'm a WCW fan. I like pre-NWO WCW. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's great. So, so what's in this block of ice, Eddie? <laughs> well, it's a Yeti. He he found a Yeti frozen in a block of ice. Holy shit, that's amazing. How yeah. do they get across? Like, how does a wrestler dress as a Yeti? Well, by being a mummy. What? I thought you said it was a Yeti. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a mummy, but it's a Yeti. <laughs> they got a guy named Ron Reese who's actually bigger than the big show by He's a about big three inches. fucking dude, yeah. Couldn't wrestle to save his no, life. No, he, he could barely as walk. Bad as bad as El Gigante. Yeah, he could barely walk, this guy. He he had some issues, but... And then they wrapped his body up like a mummy, <laughs> limiting his mobility even further. Yeah, that's a but, good move. But yeah, he bursts out of a block of ice, and oh, shit. You know, this is horror for stupid children, Eddie. Yeah. And, um, and so we get to the Halloween Havoc match. We have our sumo wrestling match uh, in the monster trucks on the roof Ugh. of the arena, which uh, is pretty dull. It's just two monster trucks trying to push each other out of a circle. Yeah. Then the drivers hop out of the trucks, which are the Giant and Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the in the ensuing chaos, Hulk Hogan shoves the Giant off the arena. Yeah, yeah. To so, his death. Yeah, so now the Giant's dead. Like, how are we going to have this match now at the end of the night? I, I don't know. I mean, the Giant's dead. Like, we have to call the paramedics. Nope, hit the pyro. Here comes the Giant. He's yep. just walking in. Nice, no, cool. I guess he's fine. <laughs> 
because these are supernatural beings we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. This is the Dungeons of Doom. They don't. They're they're not alive or dead, Eddie. No, 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 no. They're supernatural. And, they're, it's this is horror. Absolutely. This is that's why we're including it because like this is the the peak, the apex of horror and pro wrestling mm-hmm. is the giant falling off the stadium <laughs> and then coming in. And so he he comes back in time for the match. There's a whole bunch of nonsense. It's a sloppy match because the giant has never wrestled before. Yeah, and Hulk Hogan battered. refuses to bump. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, bumping is when you fall down in wrestling. When you actually get slammed, it's called taking a bump. Yeah, Hogan will no-sell literally everything. Because he, he's Hulk Hogan. He's Superman. How are you going to hurt right. him? Right, yeah. You hit him, and he just doesn't take any sort of fucking damage from it. It's He's, yeah. Well, he's here's what it took worst. to actually damage him, though. His manager, Jimmy Hart, oh, no. hit him with a megaphone. <laughs> Turned on him, the Benedict Arnold. Ah, damn. And uh, and then you know the giant starts beating him up, and then in comes the Yeti, or as the commentators call him, the Yet Tay. Yet Tay, <laughs> it's the Yet Tay. Because uh, uh, the 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 official, the commentator Tony Schiavone, did not know that word, and didn't know how to pronounce <laughs> it correctly. He's like, "What the hell is a Yet Tay?" Oh, and so. And what these two massive people do, what's the best way, would you say, Eddie, for two, like, seven-foot-two, seven-foot-three guys to to kill Hulk Hogan? Um, well, they should put their hands on each other's shoulders, right? They, they, they should, okay. like, choke him, maybe. Oh, maybe. that's not bad. Yeah. What, if, what if they just uh, sandwich him in between their bodies and hug until he passes oh, out? Oh, have a group hug? Have a, a big have old, a group big old spoon session. <laughs> oh my god, it, it's so ridiculous! Like it's what? So bad. Um, mm. a, even as a child, as a literal child at this point, I was watching this, going, "What am I doing?" Yeah, you know, like why am I watching this? Uh, White uh, Slimer, we're gonna go somewhere else. And, absolutely, yeah. he was like, "Hey, have you have you tried uh, stealing the Spice Channel, Bobby?" <laughs> I'm like, "Wait, that sounds way more interesting." Yeah. White Slimer, thank boobs, you. totally. Whoa. Uh, and so ultimately what ends up ruining the Dungeon of Doom as a storyline <laughs> further than they'd already done themselves oh God. Uh, is the NWO happens. Yeah. Hulk Hogan's a bad guy now, and they're bad guys. You can't make them good guys now. No, 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 no. And no. so they have nothing to do. They're just sort of hanging out like, well, uh, I guess I'll have a Coke, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so we end up adding more characters because like, like they did with the NWO, when it starts to get boring, just add more guys. Yeah, they did a bad job with that. Yeah, they did. But the Dungeon of Doom gets really wacky. They get a short guy called Bron the Leprechaun. Oh, God. Who's just a, a feral leprechaun running around scratching and clawing people. Uh, they had a guy named Loch Ness mm-hmm. from Scotland yep. who's just like Remember 500 Loch Ness. pounds. Yeah, yeah. And then my my personal two favorites, uh, Z Gangsta and The Ultimate Solution. Mm-hmm. The ultimate solution was Jeep Swenson, who, if you don't know the name, was Bane in Batman and Robin. Mm. That guy. Okay. And, uh, and Z Gangsta was the villain from the movie No Holds Barred. Oh, Tiny Zeus, Zeus Lister. Yeah. Uh, looking By the real way, bored. Tune in to the Mustachio Podcastio if you want uh, to listen to people talk about No Holds Barred, Bobby. 
thank you. That's why I wanted to bring that up. I thought it would be a perfect segue. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, we got Zeus in this episode. Did that hurt your feelings listening to them? Did you listen to that episode yet, by the way? I did listen to it, and it didn't hurt my feelings at all. Okay, I totally did. I very much enjoyed that. It was a fun episode. I was actually going to pitch that episode to uh, to Daniel, and then suddenly the episode dropped. and went, oh, shit, awesome. <laughs> it's okay. You can do uh, uh, Ready to Rumble. I got to think if anybody has a mustache in that movie. Surely somebody does. Maybe. So, we're still here in the mid '90s. Yes. And so, again, let's 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 hit that tennis ball back to the other side of the court. Uh, 1996. Yes. This is a big one. Oh, remember I'm, Cactus Jack? Oh yes, I remember Cactus Jack. Well, you know, like we said, Undertaker's still bopping around. We need a new nemesis. And what a great nemesis! For, oh my God. for The Undertaker. Mankind. I remember Mankind coming out. First you had the vignettes of him, and he was like whining about like life and uh, how tragic it was. He, he was like proto-Raven a, a little oh, bit here. And, uh, and, and he had reason to be that way. Yeah. In real life, Mick Foley, the guy who played Cactus Jack previously and is now playing this character, Mankind, uh, actually lost an ear in a wrestling match mm-hmm, mm-hmm. against Vader in Germany. He uh, he got his head caught in the ropes for a spot, and when he pulled his head free, one of his ears came off. Yeah. If you want to talk about horror, how's that? This so you got I a mean, guy who's physically mutilated. Yeah, if you want to ever like listen to somebody talk about the behind the scenes of wrestling, Mick Foley is the the guy that that you go find his book uh, uh, and look into it. I, I would say the the next best thing to that is the uh, thirty for thirty uh, about Ric Flair. But oh yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, the Have a Nice Day uh, autobiography, thirty for thirty Ric Flair, yeah, and then a Vice's series, The Dark Side of the Ring. Those yes. are the best uh, yes. behind the scenes of pro wrestling. Oh uh, man, I watched every one of those out. Vice's uh, uh, Dark Side of the Ring. So so good. So, so with mankind, you got a guy like I said who's who's got a nub for an ear. Mm-hmm. So what better than to give him a character who is a a self mutilating crazy person? Yeah, he he would do the Jake the Snake crouch in the corner, rip his hair out. And, yeah, they shaved parts of his head so that he looked like he was missing patches of hair from yeah. yanking them out in his hands. And he'd wear this leather mask that looked almost Hannibal Lecter like, kind of Vaderish, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And he would he would hang out in the boiler rooms of the arenas and talk about how abused he always was. And they did some really fascinating stuff with him that I'd never seen with other wrestlers before. Uh, one was he had separate music for his entrance and for when he won a match. Yes. So that he took from Silence of the Lambs. The idea was that, that, that the exit music was to calm him down so he would quit trying to kill the wrestler that he was fighting. And, oh, man. As a as a twelve year old in ninety six, this was dope. This was the coolest shit. Yeah, as a fifteen year old in ninety six, I'm down. Like th- this guy's oh, yeah. crazy as shit, and he's got a weird wrestling move that I've never seen anyone else the do. He did a move called the claw. mandible. Claw. Oh yeah, he had a, a special black glove that kept his middle and ring fingers fused together. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd stick this super finger in your mouth under your tongue where, you know, in storyline, he was activating a pressure point that would paralyze you. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
making you unable to kick out of a pinfall, make basically making the match over. Yeah, yeah, you would knock you out effectively. It was and like the idea a sleeper was that it hold. Was incredibly painful, and you would you would pass out from the pain whilst being unable to move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I once saw a match where he had been put in a figure four leg lock, mankind that is. Yes, and uh, and took himself out so as not to submit to the pain. <laughs> he just stuck his hand in his own mouth and gave himself the mandible like, claw. Like fuck it, I'm gonna yeah. put myself out. Goddamn, he jetpacked out of there, man. Mm-hmm. Love uh, McFoley, amazing performer. Uh, can do any character you give him and make it the coolest shit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Dude Love. Oh, Dude Love was great. <laughs> just this weird like free love hippie character yeah. tapping to the Bee Gees. So silly, but. Uh, but mankind, and, and they eventually even brought back his old friend Terry Funk that you had mentioned, uh-huh. uh, in a takeoff on Super Leather as Chainsaw Charlie. Yes, yes. Very briefly in the WWF, I remember the time that. Period, yeah. where, like they put a stocking on his head and put some uh, baby powder on it, yeah. had him run around with the chainsaw. But his greatest feud as mankind, though, was against the Undertaker. Oh yes. and I sent you a match. Yeah, the Boiler Room Brawl. This is actually as far as. I felt like you were developing a narrative with, with these. And this one, I think, as far as being horror, is the most horror of any of the matches. Oh, 100%. They basically shot a short film. Yeah, absolutely. So it, we start in the boiler room, and, and we have Vince like expressing, th- this is a, a babyface good boy Vince before he turned into the bad guy. And- it was not public knowledge that he was the owner of the company no he no, was no, just no, the no. lead commentator mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how hey he's worried about the undertaker he's worried about mankind and the things that could go on down in the boiler room because there's like cinder block walls and all the accoutrements of the boiler room and it's just shot really really well it like it oh absolutely looks like a horror movie you can see some movie influence we did like a shining thing with the undertaker at one point where he you just see his face through a crack in a door while he's reaching in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of uh i mean i'm just gonna say it there's a lot of dick and ball torture in this yeah yeah that (laughs) does happen mankind just wails on the undertaker's crotch with a pipe during this match yeah he, he, he splits the uprights on we get a lot of like weird kind of dutch angle shots like they really want to make you uncomfortable watching this. Yeah, they do a good job of it, too. And uh, the the end goal of this match is you start down in the boiler room of the arena. It's unsanctioned. There's no fans around. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have this horror film. You then need to leg it to the ring where Paul Bearer is going to be there with the urn. And if you recover the urn from Paul Bearer, you win. Yes. And you not only win the match, but you also win the power of the urn and the services of Paul Bearer. Yeah, for for whatever that means, but yeah. <laughs> now, what they did for the arena, Eddie, which I think is amazing, is uh, obviously the fans that are in the arena, uh, aren't, they're not able to watch the the pre-taped fight in the backstage area. Yeah, so that's rough. What What did they do for them sitting there? Aside from the big screen above the entranceway that you can watch... Mm-hmm. They straight up wheeled out the, you know, teacher is playing a tape this afternoon. Oh, my God. They got the VC, you know, they got the TVs on the roll stands, and they put that in front of the front row on every side of the room. <laughs> oh, wow. the mid-90s. Oh, God. 
So I can only imagine if you were sitting in a certain part of the arena where you couldn't see anything. You were just bored at You're like, I'm going to go get a soda or something. Yeah. But then, at the end of the match, Eddie, something big happens. Oh, yeah. The, the first time ever, we have a valet or a manager pull a heel turn. Which means Absolutely. turning into a bad guy. Paul Bearer turns his back on The Undertaker with the urn, so The Undertaker can't get the urn. Refuses to give it to him. And then Mankind runs in, clobbers The Undertaker, and he gets the urn. Yeah, and he gives him the mandible claw like twice, three times. Paul Bearer smacks The Undertaker in the face with the urn. Oh my god, it's... It's betrayal on betrayal. Yeah, and I know, like as twelve and fifteen year olds, respectively, we were outraged. Oh, I was pissed. I, I was like, "Fuck you, Paul Bearer. Fuck you to death." And and even Vince, Vince was he had he was beside himself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was this was not what we had in mind. Yeah. And so obviously this does gangbusters, and ultimately they feud these two characters for the better part of a year, yeah, they had an which ultimately leads feud. to the uh, the infamous Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, that's that's a rough one. Yeah, um, it, it's not a very horror match, so we're not going to get into depth on it. No. But uh, Mick Foley made his name on that match due to a series of accidents that happened. Yeah, he yeah. almost died in that match. So look that up sometime. Yeah, if you ever want to see somebody's tooth sticking out of their nose, that's a very yeah. good match to look up. One of his teeth got knocked into his nostril. Ugh. Uh, meanwhile, he bit a hole under his bottom lip accidentally yeah. upon one of his big crash landings in that match and was trying to stick his tongue through it for the cameras. Ugh. Uh, which made for this creepy, bloody smile he was doing so the commentators can go, he likes the pain. And he's like, no, I fucking didn't. That sucked. Yeah, that's... I was checking to see if I had a hole in my face. That's rough. <laughs> but so these... So now Vince and uh, and company are like, oh, horror characters are getting mm -hmm. over. Mm -hmm. Like, we finally, you know, Papa Shango didn't work. So, but we finally have a second horror character that people are really into. So they decide, we're just going to hit the accelerator on it. So we have two other big horror debuts in the following two years. Yeah. 97 hits. And, uh, oh, man, you want to talk about a game changer, Eddie? Mm-hmm. We meet The Undertaker's brother. <laughs> Ooh, you mean Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS. <laughs> yeah, oh, wait, sorry. Dr. Uh, Diggles. After a, after a failed gimmick of an evil dentist, <laughs> we repackage Glenn Jacobs mm -hmm. as the Undertaker's younger brother, Kane, who the Undertaker previously thought had died due to a fire he had set as a child uh, in the these, family's mortuary. These Kane and Undertaker storylines get so bad. It's, it's really just bad Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, we're just yeah. doing... They go for it on the storylines, and I appreciate that. Yeah. So, yeah, when The Undertaker was a small boy, I'm going to try to do this as fast as I can. Okay, uh, please do. A very young Undertaker was a pyromaniac, and he accidentally burned down the family's mortuary um, and uh, assumedly killed his brother along with his parents. Uh, little did he know, his brother survived that and uh, was raised in secret by Paul Bearer, who it turns out is actually Cain's father. So they're half brothers. Turns out the uh, the old manager Paul Bearer had sex with the Undertaker's mother. Are you still there, Eddie? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, I thought. Sorry. sorry. No, it, I was. I had it muted, so I was. Uh, I was letting you. I was letting you <laughs> rock with, with the, uh, the <laughs> Paul with the Bearer line. fucking 
The Undertaker's mother. Absolutely. Assumedly oh in God. the mortuary. Maybe, yeah. Put, yeah let yeah. that live in your brain for a while. Ugh. And uh, so he raised the boy in secret to, to hate his brother <laughs> for killing the family. Ugh. And uh, one at the end of a big cage match, suddenly this massive guy, the same size as the Undertaker, mm-hmm. perhaps more muscular, oh, yes. came down and ripped the cage door off with his bare hands. And this is clearly a Michael Myers Jason pastiche because he's got like the quiet riot mask on. Yes, yes. And much like the Undertaker, uh, who at this point had transitioned from the old Western Undertaker to being more of the uh, the devil incarnate. You know, he was dressing very satanically. He had the the pointy beard and a lot of black leather. Yeah. Uh, he could control the lights of the arena by raising and lowering his arms. Uh, he could even summon lightning periodically because at this point the Undertaker character had already died and been resurrected <laughs> over the years. So silly. So we have a dark sorcerer and his uh, slasher movie brother, and they had Kane just just steamroll everybody. Like you couldn't hurt this guy. Yeah, no, he like walked through Goldberg style. Uh, Absolutely. The entire roster, like like and man, ridiculously. Back in the day, Eddie. Baddest dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Loved Kane. Oh, yeah. And you sympathize with him even though he's the bad guy? Mm-hmm. This is deep shit, dude. Yeah, he raises his hands up and then he puts them down and then the four corners of, of the ring just erupt fire with flames. Like shot up from those steel <sighs> posts. He shot a fireball out of his hand at somebody once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that uh, was... what, he, set, he set a cameraman on fire and sent him running to the back. Yeah, that was kind of stupid, but... <laughs> In the best way, though. Yeah, 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 totally. In the wrestling way, which is the best way to be stupid possible. Absolutely. And so these two feuded forever. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we we ultimately learn that it was Paul Bearer who set that fire. Devious bastard that he was. Oh, that son Uh, of a bitch. We also learn that Kane was never actually burned. It was psychological. Mm -hmm. He thought he was burned. Like, it's like a body dysmorphia thing. When he looks in the mirror, he thinks he's covered in burns. But he lost a match wherein the stipulation was he had to take off his mask, and it revealed that he's fine underneath. He's still Isaac Yankum. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and it drove him even crazier to have to face that. So uh, really, another another deep character with a rich backstory. There's actually a novelization telling the story of Cain out there, if you ever want to track that down. It is not well written at all. I, I read the uh, novelization of the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies. <laughs> it's probably on par with those. Pretty close, yeah. And so now we've had our third horror character get over. Yeah, yeah, he uh, so, totally like, got over. Massively. And uh, to uh, these days, he's uh, semi-retired and is actually the mayor of a town in Tennessee. That's great. That's splendid. I wonder if he set anybody on fire. Yeah, yeah, that was in, at the last debate. Like, <laughs> he's like, like, how do you debate this guy? Yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna uh, run against me, and then he just like throws a fireball at the dude's face. <laughs> I remember one time in a match, he uh, he electrocuted the testicles of Vince McMahon's son. Oh, Shane, Shane O'Mac, amazing. So, 97, 96 is the year of the mankind, 97 is the year of the cane. Mm-hmm. What do we got in store for 98? Why, wow, you're going to love this one, Eddie. Okay. Oh, man. 
Uh, you know what we need now? We've got slasher guys. We've got dork sorcerers. Let's get a fucking vampire in here. <laughs> fucking gangrel. This is astounding. This um, this is the worst. I love his character was so fun for a second. <laughs> uh, with the brood. I mean, okay, he the least successful member of the brood, by the way. Oh, certainly. And yet, I will argue, uh, the only one who's still wrestling now. Is he? Edge is gone? Edge came back and just this year and then got injured again. Ah, shit. So of course I think Christian he's, he's going to so. come back again, but uh, we'll see. Okay. We'll see when. Wow. So, wow. And Christian retired due to concussion issues. Yeah. But, uh, so we bring in, the idea of Gangrel and the Brood was to, uh, it was pitched as a Lost Boys gimmick. Which is a We're good move. Do cool, right? sexy vampires for the late nineties. <laughs> well, well, okay. Let's let's stop on the word "sexy." I said it was pitched as uh, so. Gangrel, he's no Val Venus. He's no uh, uh, beautiful man. He's a very barrel-chested man. It's a classic pro wrestler. You know, like if this yeah. were the early eighties or the late seventies, he'd be like chomping a cigar and wearing a bowler hat. Yeah, yeah. He's no ravishing Rick Rude. He's at uh, all. No, he's a, he's a thick boy. Oh he's yeah, meaty. yeah. He's got dad bod. One hundred percent, and he's pretty good wrestler. He's a, he's a hell of a hand. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the thing about Gangrel though is, while it was pitched as a Lost Boys thing, Vince McMahon has not seen the Lost Boys. <laughs> And so what he ends up putting Gangrel in is, like, the the pirate shirt from Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. And so we're getting, this like, the flowy shirt. Anne Rice vampire on a big on a big round guy. With a goblet. Oh, God. That entrance. And uh, famously, he would come up through the stage at the top of the ramp uh, in a circle of fire holding a goblet. He would take a drink from it and then spit blood in the air. Oh, in the, the, the music? Astounding! I don't know if you're able to drop that. In I here, will drop it in like, here right now. Okay, it's a wonderful song. Like that is what one of band. the all-time great theme songs. This has got to be um, your entrance music for for the podcast. <laughs> by the way, what's that? Th- this has got to be your entrance music for the podcast. Oh, moving forward, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I need I need the brood music if I'm ever uh, when I come up through your floor to yes. talk about something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so they, we had two actual young sexy guys in the at the time period that they were trying to introduce to the audience, and so they made them his. They never said they were vampires, but they ran with the vampire guys. So they were called the Brood, this trio. And what they would do uh, to unsuspecting people was called a bloodbath. And so the lights in the arena would go off, pitch black, for a couple seconds. And when the lights would come back on, somebody was covered head to toe like Carrie. Yeah. And it makes no sense because if you're a vampire, I thought the idea is you wanted to drink blood. He's oh, so he's a vampire, but he's also like a doomsday prepper. So he's got like a bunker full of blood bags just in case. See, this would have been so much better if it was a thing where he was converting people to his stable by doing this. And they should have done that. In fact, the match I watched from just a month ago, he had a, a match at a company called Black Label Pro in Indiana. Uh, one, 
he may be better now than he was in the 90s. Okay. Uh, you know, he's an older guy, but he's gotten into better shape than he was back then, and uh, and he's 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 another legendary nice guy in the business, so he just wants to, like, help put on good matches for younger yeah, guys, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, but he had a match with a guy named Effie. Uh, Effie is a uh, a fabulous homosexual. Okay. And so the story of the match was Effie kept demanding that he turn him. Mm, okay. You know, he's like, bite my neck. You know, he's like, I want you to do it. And uh, eventually, you know, he, de- you know, eventually Gangrel finally begrudgingly acquiesces by the end of the match. And when he goes to actually, you know, uh, turn him around and bite him on the neck, Effie rolls him up for a one, two, three. Ah. <laughs> and, then, and then leaves laughing at his dumb ass. That's good. It was a good story. It's a great twist. But, uh, yeah, it was great. So check out, you know, Black Label Pro. I'm down. There's some really fun stuff, uh, including some people we're going to talk about at the end of this episode. Okay, okay. But, but, yeah, I loved The Brood. I thought The Brood was great. And uh, what this ultimately all folds in together, all these characters we've just been talking about, is The Undertaker turns heel. Yes. He becomes the, the big bad of the WWF, and he forms the Ministry of Darkness. Oh, this was such a bad angle. I did not care for this back then. But yeah, he gathers up a whole army of like mid-card bad guys. Mm-hmm. So he gets the Brood there. Uh, he gets... Uh, Midian. Uh, Midian, uh, who had been a hog farmer character, who now I guess is some yep. kind of weird was Satanist. Phineas? Phineas Godwin. Yeah. P-I-G. Phineas I. Godwin. Phineas, yeah. Brother of Henry O. Godwin. Get it? Yeah, hog and pig. But I'm yep. And so he gets him in there. And Mabel. He gets, uh, yeah, Mabel became a character called Viscera. Viscera, yes, yes. And uh, they were doing wild shit. They were they crucified Vince's daughter on a big Undertaker. That symbol. was pretty cool. Uh, they hanged the big boss man from the steel cage. Yep, yep. Which was really uncomfortable to watch. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, they they ran rampant for like I want to say the majority of '99 was just all the Ministry of Darkness. Yeah, and then their turn and reveal at the end about who the ultimate power was is which made no sense. Pretty at all infamous. The person they've been torturing for the entirety of the year is actually the leader telling them to do it. Yeah. To what end? Who the hell knows? We never got an explanation. <sighs> no. So it makes you just think it's some kind of S and M thing. Maybe, maybe he was into it. It was like his kink, man. He's like, yeah, kidnap my daughter. <laughs> yeah, make do me worry. It. As long as it it's pisses just, off just... Austin, that's all we need. Yeah, and that was yeah. It was a weird time. Yeah, but uh, so now we're in 1999. Eddie, let's run. Let's run back to uh, Japan for a second. Okay. Because I want to, as I mentioned, uh, Super Leather went on to another company Mm -hmm. to end out his career. That company was called FMW, and they did a really interesting horror angle. Okay. Uh, In 99, there was a character named Goemon. Yeah, okay. Familiar with And he was sort of a a noble thief Robin Hood type character. Right. And uh, eventually this other character showed up to torment him named Onryo. Okay. Onryo is a Japanese ghost. Yeah. And so what they did was uh, they got this guy and they, you know, they put some corpse paint on him like a black metal guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they covered him in like the talcum powder, you know, like they covered him in the not know, it was talcum powder, the stuff weightlifters use. Mm-hmm. So that every time he moved, every time you'd hit him, dust would come off of his body. <laughs> really ghost like. Yeah. And what we don't know is why are you tormenting me? And we also don't know why are you a ghost? Yeah. And so Onryo eventually shows up. 
with a special championship belt. Hmm. And he explains, this is the belt of curse to own, to go about. The belt of curse. And the way it works is, this is a belt that is passed by losing matches. Okay. You you get cursed with the belt of curse by losing a match to the holder of that title. So he lost long... to Barry Horowitz. Absolutely. <laughs> got him in the, got him with the inside cradle yes. for the one, two, three. And the thing is, if you hold on to this belt too long, it poisons and kills you. <laughs> and so that's why Onryo is a ghost, because he held this belt for too long, and the longer you hold on to it, the weaker you get, the less likely you're going to be able to pass it on wow. And so... They have their big match. Okay. And son of a bitch, Onryo beats Goemon and sticks him with this fucking Uh-oh. belt. And so we get weeks and weeks passing where Goemon is just trying desperately to pass this fucking belt on to somebody. <laughs> and he's got it handcuffed to him like he's got the nuclear code. Right. And he's just getting, you know, they're, they're starting to, like, have his face go pale. They're giving him a little bit of makeup. He's coughing up blood after matches oh like God. he's dying. Yeah. And eventually he does pass away and returns as a ghost as well, and they form a tag team. (laughs) Because upon actually crossing over into the supernatural realm, he finally understood Onryo, and he felt that they had a connection. Wow. And and that's when their feud ended. He's like, no, I get you now, man, now that we're both, we belong dead. What a (laughs) storyline. Isn't that something? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, Onryo uh, is still around. He actually uh, started his own company called Darkness Pro Wrestling oh, 666. of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that dude's pretty dope. I like that Hell guy. Yeah. I just want to make sure we mention that. Yeah, yeah, totally. That, dude, that's dope. And so this brings us to 2000, Eddie. Mm. Let's go back to WCW because I sent you a match. Oh, goddamn this fucking match. I guess, I guess first we got to establish one of the big stars of WCW in 99-2000. Mm-hmm. Was a guy named Vampiro. Vampiro. The, actually, a documentary just came out on this guy recently. Oh, he's a really interesting cat. This guy. Yeah. Um. And when he first hit the scene, you know, anyone who heard the, my last appearance here on Bloody Bits knows I was a big new metal kid. Yep. And so you got this dude, and he was a massive star in Mexico. That's where they found him. His full name was Vampiro Canadiense. Mm-hmm. He was the Canadian vampire, <laughs> and. Like the WWF tried to do, they he was this like sexy vampire down right. in Mexico. He was a heartthrob. They put him on TV outside of wrestling. He would like guest appear on uh, on Mexican soap operas. Uh, he was the real deal. And so his look though was he was a super heavy metal looking guy. He's wearing like leather pants and a vest and shit. Uh, and but he'd paint his face like Doyle from the Misfits. Yeah, yeah. But he had the corn dreadlocks. Yeah. The oh, and God. so. For me in '99, you know, full swing new metal kid, mm-hmm. I was like, "This is my guy. Yeah. This guy's fucking cool. He's doing karate kicks and shit. He looks like that." If if his face paint was silver instead of white, he could be in Mudvayne. Oh, I know, and that he'd have been my favorite wrestler of all time. Were that the case, uh, in real life, this guy uh, Ian Hodgson, I've met him. He's he's a pretty cool dude. Uh, was a guardian angel. That makes sense. Yeah, like in Mex- you know, at like the Mexican border, he's working with the Guardian Angels, uh, and he's you know he's he's been the singer in multiple punk bands. He eventually became the commentator at Lucha Underground oh, in the two thousands. Okay. okay. Uh, but yeah, he's had a hell of a career. But the problem with Vampiro, as cool as he looked and as cool as his moves were, his finishing move was called a nail in the coffin. Yeah, that was not great. <laughs> I loved it. I don't care. It's it's very <laughs> it, was a, it was a variation on a pile driver. 
like he was driving a nail into the ring. Yeah, yeah. Like driving a stake into someone's heart. Um, and so the problem with his career, though, is they just never gave him anything good to do. No, they always put him in gimmicky matches is the problem. Like I don't think the uh, the higher ups really understood what they had with him. Right. Like the thing with the Undertaker is he is gimmicky and he is the horror character, but they would make him like an advanced, persistent threat on whoever the champion was. Right. Yes. With Vampiro, they never did that. It was just always they'd throw him in some weird gimmicky match with another gimmicky character. Absolutely, and, st- and he was constantly getting paired up with musicians too. Yeah, uh, for for well. a time he had he had the Misfits come as his managers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did the same thing with the insane clown posse. The only connection, literally, being that he paints his face yeah. and has dreadlocks. Ugh. The the second worst thing to happen to wrestling next to maybe David Arquette. Oh yeah, especially now in hindsight, because David Arquette, weirdly enough, is respected in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. Because he went to the Indies and started actually, like, wrestling. Wow. <laughs> oh, he nearly died in a death match. It was something. Well, that's he, literally he a death match. He actually got his neck cut in a death match. He was, like, bleeding out. Huh. I gotta it's see wild. that. It's wild. I'll have to send you the picture because they, they made a T-shirt where they showed the image of him posing with, like, all of his cuts all over him, shirtless and bloody. God damn. And they made it black and white like it was an old punk T-shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, he just had a documentary come out called, uh, I think it was called uh, You Can't Kill David Arquette. I'm so down for that. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Cool. But uh, I wanted to send uh, an example of the just absolute horse shit they gave Vampiro to do at WCW. Yeah, this was not great. Versus the Kiss Demon. The Kiss Demon. So get this. Kiss <sighs> signed a deal to merchandise with WCW that we're going to make one of your wrestlers cosplay as Gene Simmons. In, Full on the entire outfit. Okay. In the entire match, they're calling him the demon and then saying his name repeatedly because... Dale Torborg. Yeah, because it's like... He had previously uh, come to WCW in a Baseball Furies from the Warriors gimmick. That's a pretty good gimmick. That's better than the fucking they sh- demon. That should have, they should have run with that. But the thing is, like, you know, Gene Simmons inks this deal with them. And uh, they're like, all right, who do we got? We got a tall guy in face paint. Make him the kiss guy. Yeah, that makes sense. And so they do that. But eventually they lost the, uh, you know, the contract with Kiss ended. And so while he still lo- had the look going, they didn't refer to Kiss. So they just called him the demon. Mm. That's got to be they didn't rough. know what to do with him, so they're like, I don't know, we're calling him the demon. I guess he's one of our dark horror guys, so we're going to we're gonna have him feud with the other horror yeah, guy. Yeah, and it's time for the graveyard match. And this is... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Much like the boiler room brawl, the idea is it's going to start at this other outside location, yeah. and you win by getting to the ring. It's ultimately a chase. So we open in the graveyard, and the kiss demon... I'm sorry, the demon Dale Torborg <laughs> is carrying a flaming sword as a torch to light the way. <laughs> this is so stupid. Okay. And he's got his girlfriend Asia with him. Yeah. Who is a knockoff of China from the WWF. Right, yeah. That was they got the... a bodybuilder lady and they called her Asia because that's China. bigger than just China. Mm-hmm. And, and with them is senior referee Charles Robinson. <laughs> Yeah. And so they're wandering around like the Scooby gang with flashlights and a flaming sword. Poor Charles Robinson, by the way. He worked his ass off on this match. He tried his best, man. Man. 
Ugh. And so we're looking for Vampiro in his graveyard. Okay, so <laughs> we're starting the match by like walking around for at least a minute and a half, two minutes, looking for the other person to fight. Which is an eternity in a pro wrestling match. Oh my match. god. Like it, two minutes of just standing around. It really is. And then we find him, or he finds us. Yeah, uh, he jumps out of a tree. <laughs> That's why we couldn't find him. Nobody thought to look up. Yeah, because he's hiding in a tree. Like, what? It's a, yeah, it's like the, the it's like the guitarist for Korn jumped out of a tree at you. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and monkey they, they, out they, of the tree. And they go back and forth. Uh, was it? Uh, we're trying to slam him into an open grave with a, yeah. with a casket. Uh, we get into a we get into a, a river in Florida. <laughs> he chucks the demon in a lake, passed out. And it's like I oh, assume they filmed this on like a golf course or something. I think it was the water hazard. Yeah, probably. And he's trying to drown the demon. Um, there's this weird stone arch that they pass through on the way to where they're going, and then on the way back, like. <laughs> Like what are we even doing? Yeah, guys? and there's no lighting. No, and we we just have literally flashlights, and so y- you can't see shit as a fan. Yeah, it's like I, a... I think the most well lit thing we saw was when Vampiro smashed a tombstone upside his head. Well, okay, the 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 smashing the stone tombstone up against his head. This is highly suspect. It's... It explodes into powder. <laughs> literally turns into dust and the, like you hit him with a bag of sugar yeah the, the commentator is like i don't know if that was the the tombstone that shattered or his skull <laughs> yeah maybe his head exploded yeah that's probably what oh we just okay saw. that's probably there's probably a dead man that's that was dead before i guess but dead again maybe that's what's happening <laughs> but what a what a shit show and then they didn't really figure out the timing of this, so they actually, on the pay-per-view proper, uh, went to another segment, and then 20 minutes later, like, Vampiro got to the arena. No, I think this made sense, right? So so they, they he beat the shit out of the demon, he threw him into a, a coffin, and then shoved him into a grave. And then, yeah, we just have, like, a couple other fights, and, and a couple other people cutting promos. And then 20 minutes later, he's just like, hey, I'm here now, finally. Hey, guys, it's me, Vampiro. I guess I win. It's like in real time. It's so bad. <laughs> well, he wanted it to feel like it was live, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. I, it makes... he's, he's not in the arena. He's got he's to, like, you know, call an Uber or something. Yeah, he's got to walk over there. Like, what do you, do you want to follow him walking the yeah. whole time? we got to cut to some Supernatural evil vampire Vampiro needed a ride to the arena. It's like uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, when he talks about Fantastic how movie. he has to do so much cardio because, you know. To be able to walk as fast as someone can run. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. Yeah, I think that's what's going on. I think I think so. It, oh my god, this was oh. so terrible. Felt so bad for Vampiro. It, it was honestly like a worse version of the Undertaker Mankind Boiler Room Brawl. Um, and I gotta tell you, and that's exactly what it is. And I gotta tell you, I think it is probably because of this match and some of the other nonsense that same year in WCW involving Vampiro. Uh, when the WWE bought the WCW in 2002, uh, Vampiro was one of the few people they never brought in. Yeah, 
It sucks, too, because... And, you th- and he was a major star at the time in WCW. That was one of the biggest names that just didn't show up. And you could tell he's actually very talented. Like, that's... Absolutely. Yeah. They... He's more athletic and more charismatic than almost anybody on the roster yeah. at the time, but they kept giving him just nonsense to do. Yeah, that's what's ridiculous. Like, they brought over so so less talented people. Like, it, it's... Yeah. It's insane. It's just... It's tragic. Um, ultimately, he he wound up okay. But uh, but he never got to really taste the big, big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that brings us now. We're going to jump to a different company, Eddie. Uh, early 2000s. We're going to talk about a guy named Abyss. Yeah. Oh, Abyss. So basically this company called TNA, mm-hmm. Total Nonstop Action. <laughs> See what they did there? Yes, I do, sir. They want to get your attention. Uh, they are still around now. They've renamed themselves Impact Wrestling. Yes. So I saw that. But at the time, and this was one of their biggest stars, they basically they've, they figured out a character that could be simultaneously Mankind and Kane. Yeah, I noticed that also. <laughs> like, like, even just by looking at him immediately, you're like, oh, this is like a Mankind Kane thing. Not only in his look, but in his wrestling style, which is oh, yeah. interesting. And so the, the, the quick... Uh, you know, the back of the VHS on, on Abyss mm-hmm. is that uh, he's this giant dude. Just a big hog oh, yeah. man. Um, really scary looking guy. Uh, who more or less came up in Arkham Asylum. He had kind of like a Bane backstory. It's like he spent most of his life imprisoned in an asylum where he was tortured by the other inmates and the orderlies. Okay. And uh, that's why he comes out wearing kind of a mankind mask. Right. And... And sort of a very, uh, you know, was it, uh, uh, you know, prison yard kind of outfit that he's got on. Yeah. In fact, later in his career, they full on put him in the jumpsuit. That makes sense. So, so yeah, exactly. He's a cross section between a big ass dude like Kane and and mankind, the tortured, yeah, a tortured soul. psychopath right. who's you know rocking himself and twitching and stuff like that. And he's just he's a guy who's going to do the crazy barbed wire matches. Now, his pallbearer, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his storyline father, yeah. his father, is the sinister minister, Father James Mitchell. <laughs> this dude, great this facial hair, guy. by the way. Uh, the devil, uh, cheer, the chin tuft, and like the greasy long black hair. Yeah. He's usually in like a red business suit. He's like an evil version of Brother Love. Absolutely. I think that was the point of the character yeah. when they invented him. And so he shows up, and it turns out he's the reason Abyss had to go get locked up for so long Uh-oh. and live this life of nonstop torture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abyss also a very good wrestler. Yeah. I mean, the get, the look and the gimmick was all very kind of, uh, you know, it's very, you know, you created this in a video game. Right, right, yeah. yeah. He's in, like, leather pants. He's got this, like, cool shirt with a weird mankind symbol on it. He's got, like, the stringy long hair. And he's tattoos all down his arms. It's interesting watching this... Um, watching the evolution of people's abilities as a wrestler and how much it gets better and better every year. Uh, it's true. And that's that's kind of why I want to go through this chronologically so you can kind of follow. Yeah. Yeah. The quality of the performances gets way better even though we're still doing silly horror gimmicks. Right, because this is 2008 and I haven't, at this point, I haven't watched wrestling in nine years, right? And this dude... So ab- you missed this entirely. Uh, entirely, yeah. And this dude, Abyss, is phenomenal like he's really oh, he's really bitching. good yeah he does uh he does some of his moves he does the uh the black hole slam yeah 
which is the old uh, the old big boss man finishing move. Yeah. It's kind of a, like a spinning rock bottom, if you could picture that, casual wrestling fans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> where he flings you in a big circle, twirls you around, which looks fun as hell, and then slams you down with his body on top of yours. It's, it's pretty good. He's, in this, I would say, probably the second best wrestler that I saw. Ooh, I can't wait to hear who your first yeah. is, unless we've already talked about it. No, that. we haven't. Oh, excellent. We'll get to That's that. That's cool. Uh, and so, uh, yada, 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 we eventually discover, much like The Undertaker and Kane, since we have a Kane now as our good guy, yeah. we need The Undertaker. Yes. And so, James Mitchell uh, brings in his evil brother, who makes a hell of a debut that you didn't see in the clip I sent no. you, but uh, this character debuted when a knife came up through the ring. <laughs> cut a hole and he dragged abyss down under the ring okay so this is like i'm trying to remember exactly which match this was where kane did the exact same thing uh kane did that once and also the earliest i can remember is the undertaker dragged diesel into the oh ring. that was it okay yeah it was the undertaker back in 94 dragging diesel back into the ring was this a king of the ring or hell in a cell I... It, the Hell in Cell didn't no, it wasn't exist Hell in It was the old blue right. cage. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's But right. I forget the event it was at. It might have been a King of the Ring mm-hmm. match, but uh, yeah. I remember the Undertaker dragged him in. So we kind of we kind of did that again, but with the added uh, knife coming up through the bottom, <laughs> yes. which is a very slasher movie. <laughs> the knife helps a lot. Like Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. To see a blade come up through the mat suddenly and go, what the hell is <laughs> happening? It's a good thing nobody's so head was there. who do we end up meeting? Uh, Judas Messias. Judas Messias, mm-hmm. who was a uh, a Mexican wrestler named Ricky Banderas. Hell of a look on this guy. Just a big, beefy, yoked dude with long hair. It's, he's got a real typo-negative look about him. He really does. He, he looks like he could be Kenny. Not Pete, but he could definitely be Kenny. Surely. And and they got him, uh, you know, he's in black and purple, very uh, evocative of The Undertaker. He's got the contacts in his eyes to make them all white. Yeah, the white eyes. I was showing this one, this match, actually, to, to my wife. Because I was like, hey. Oh, what did hey, she think of this? Uh, she's not a big fan of <laughs> wrestling. Uh, but she, fine. she appreciates it as being theater. And she's a big theater nerd. So she, she gets it. Yes, yes, 100%. And I, I respect that. It's and just like that, most of my fandoms, uh, when I hear someone doesn't like this, I'm like, no, I understand that. That's fair. It's just that she is, like a lot of people, there, there's a lot of old, like past, kind of non-progressive um, values and specifically a non-progressive fan base to it. That's oh, I completely agree. Troubling, but I think I think it's a we're struggle. yeah, I think we're beyond that now. Though, like we're getting to the point where it's way more inclusive. Uh, maybe not in the WWE and the the bigger. I was going to argue that circuit. not in the mainstream, but definitely on the indies. Yes, a hundred percent. In fact, there was just this year the speaking out movement happened where. All of the uh, the problematic people in pro wrestling got outed all at once, and some very high, some very famous people now don't have careers because, you know, it's the thing. It's the thing you want to see where the good ones out the bad ones and get them out of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 and, evolved. And decide that the the bad ones aren't welcome here anymore. And it's difficult though because, like, also with the time that we're in right now with with the current pandemic. Pairing that with the outing of the bad people, like it'll be interesting to see where wrestling goes in the next 
five, six years. But but sorry, oh, definitely. To, don't mean to interrupt. Oh, not at all. It's all right. But we're, we were talking about Judas Messias mm-hmm. or With Messiah. Barbar Massacre. Let's talk too. about this entrance gear. Oof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This match, their feud with each other, these two heated half brothers, yes, uh, led to Barbed Wire Massacre Two at uh, at TNA's uh, was it Turning Point? I forget the name of the event it was. Barbed Wire Massacre but, Two. Yeah, I forgot what the what the name of the event was. Yeah, it's. But that's neither here nor there. No. But uh, the Barbed Wire Massacre Two, Judas Messiah comes to the ring in a stellar set of entrance gear. Oh yes. He's in like a like a pinhead from Hellraiser kind of leathery smock dress thing that he's wearing. It looks uncomfortable. Like a, <laughs> it does. He can barely walk in this yeah. thing, and he's wearing like a skull with horns on it. Yeah, no. He looks like uh, Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's phenomenal though. Like the oh man, I mean, speaking of the theatrics, the the wardrobe on some of these matches is insane. I mean. It's one of the things that got me into pro wrestling, honestly, and it's one of the things that like it's what got my wife interested in pro wrestling. You know, she's no nowhere near my fandom, but she she'll watch some of it and she'll appreciate some of it when it's particularly over the top like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so he takes off his his dress and he takes off his mask, and the second that mask comes off, he just gurgles out a bunch of blood down his cheek. Yeah, <laughs> and and they they the commentators love this. They're like, oh my god, look at the. Look at him spitting all this blood out, and oh, it's it's. Oh, he's got consumption. Consumption. <laughs> he coughs into a, a handkerchief. And there's a speck. Yeah, he, he tells them that uh, he'll be his Huckleberry, and yeah, it's it's terrible. But uh, but this match happens. You know, this is the big, uh, and it's pretty brutal. You know, it's uh, yeah. the ropes have been. This is a six-sided ring, and the ropes have been removed and replaced with barbed wire. It's an interesting ring design. Like I haven't seen this one a lot. They do this in Mexico sometimes, and it was a thing that uh, Impact Wrestling slash TNA wanted to differentiate themselves immediately, so you knew you mm-hmm. weren't watching WWE. That makes sense, right? You have to make your mark. And, and my understanding is it made the. Uh, the awkward shape made the the actual the actual canvas the ring itself uh, stiffer than a normal ring. Oh, interesting. I wonder how that in a normal ring out. like the center is pretty springy, like a like, yeah. like a trampoline. Yeah. You want you're jumping off the turnbuckle, especially you want to try and aim for the middle as much as you can. Right. Um, so in this a six sided ring, everything hurts. Yeah, this would this would make the high flying anything off like higher than the the second rope like pretty rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and the I mean you can tell that they've definitely like shaved the barbed wire down so that it's not super duper sharp. But people are getting cut up here, and this is two thousand eight, so people like bleeding and wrestling is especially in uh, other companies you know who didn't weren't as strict about that. Uh, yeah, this got pretty messy. This match, and uh, you know, a lot of a lot of big spots getting thrown into the barbed wire, getting caught in the barbed wire. Uh, ultimately, ending with a big black hole slam on a a table covered in barbed wire. That spindles. looked really fucking painful. Like, regardless, I bet it was. yeah, regardless of whether or not that was sharp barbed wire. Like, th- this dude got basically. So the rock bottom is like, uh, imagine somebody just picking you up by your shoulders and then slamming you straight down onto the ground back first. It's rough. And that just happened to a dude on barbed wire. Yeah. Like to really illustrate it for anyone who, who doesn't, isn't familiar with pro wrestling. Imagine you put a bunch of barbed wire on the ground and then you turn your back to it. 
you jump as high in the air as you can and land back first on it. Yeah, and give your best friend push you down while you're jumping. Like, yeah, just make sure you hit especially hard. Yeah, it looked rough because like the way that he landed and rested his body, his body weight was resting above the ground on the barbed wire. Like he was at an angle. Yeah. It was. It was. Ugh. I mean, nothing but respect for Ricky Banderas. Uh-huh. He's willing to go for it. That's rough. I mean, yeah. That's... No matter how stupid his character is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That... So. Ugh. So you enjoyed this one? I did. I did. I thought. I thought this was a a, a really good match. I, of the matches we've watched so far, probably the best. Oh, for sure. Of the ones we've talked about so, so far, far. Country yes. Mile, because this one's actually a match. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't love barbed wire stuff, but both of the workers are guys that I appreciate. Yeah. So, so that worked a lot for me. Yeah, the gimmicky stuff uh, is a little bit rough, but yeah, they, they do a great job. For sure. Uh, which brings us back to the WWE, the turn of the 2010s. Uh, you know, all of the previous horror characters are kind of running their course. At this point, The Undertaker's a biker. Uh, He's not even doing the Prince of Darkness rolling, thing anymore. rolling, 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 rolling. <laughs> Absolutely. Kane's still around, but he's just sort of a big, you know, just sort of a big meaty bald guy. Is, I mean, he's still an angry man, and he still does the fire out of the turnbuckles, but he's not a demon anymore. Is this after the weird incest angle, or? Yep. White this fire. This is after we ruined his character. White fire. Uh, we don't need to get into that. No. Show. But, uh, yeah, they basically, they, they kind of wrecked the character to a point where they couldn't get him back to what he once was. Yeah. And so he's just another dude, and he's getting old. You know? Yeah. So they, they need to create a new one. Oh, yeah. What we come up with at this point is we start getting vignettes for a mysterious character who just calls himself the Boogeyman. Yeah. And you get the catchphrase, I'm the Boogeyman, and I'm coming to get you. Yeah. And no one knows what this is, and eventually he shows himself. And this is something. Uh, and it's Brutus the, the Barber Beefcake. Absolutely. No. <laughs> That's the Booty Man. Oh, Booty Man. Um, the boogeyman, uh, the closest thing I can liken him to would be the lipstick demon from Insidious. Yes. Okay. He's got like he's got like a Darth Maul face paint thing going on. He has he's a he's an African American gentleman. He has shaved his hair into like a, a triangular V on the top of his head. That's a weird look. And just paints his whole head. He's got like a he's got like fur on parts of his outfit. He carries a big smoking stick like Papa Shango. He has a when he makes his entrance, he has a giant alarm clock because he's the creature under your bed. Mm. He's the boogeyman. Yeah. Uh, they're going for like a Freddy Krueger character in the WWE, and so he'd come out to the ring with this giant clock like Flava Flav, but then he'd hit himself over the head with it to smash the clock. And uh, the final bit of uh, Mad Libs we're doing with his character is he would eat worms. Ugh. Yeah. The guy portraying this character had false teeth, and so he could remove his four front teeth. And so just when he played the boogeyman, he'd just take his teeth out, because why would the boogeyman have a normal set of teeth? Yeah, if you can do that for a fake. Like, imagine if he had a fake eye. The, the, the idea is you take the eye out and you throw it at somebody in the crowd. Like Absolutely. Anything you, for shock. Anything that you can do to make it work with the crowd, right? right? And so he'd he'd literally take a bunch of live worms and put them in his mouth and let them fall out of the holes in his teeth. It was he was trying to be as gross as possible. Yeah. He was not a very good worker in the ring, uh, due to a, a couple injuries he sustained, and also the fact that when they hired him, he was almost fifty. Yeah, that's also rough. So at, at that point, like you can't sustain a career really. No. Past so very 50. quickly after just a handful of matches, uh, he kind of devolved into a uh, a backstage cameo mm-hmm. 
like characters would open a broom closet in the in the locker room and the boogeyman would be in the closet <laughs> and just go I'm coming to get you and they'd slam the door shut you know it was it became sort of a a fun little stupid thing That's good that's a that's a good move for him yeah, it worked out. I think it was okay. Uh, I recently, uh, in the last like month or so, I saw uh, our old pal Papa Shango, the Godfather, mm-hmm. posted a picture on Instagram where he was riding in the car with the boogeyman, and they both put their makeup on. Oh, hell yeah! I'll send it to you. It's just a picture of, of Papa Shango driving a, a car and boogeyman riding shotgun, and they're just smiling together. <laughs> so I wish I, I still had this, but back in the Portland wrestling days, th- there was um. Uh, Scotty the Body Raven you used to be mm-hmm. a uh, 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 an announcer, right, for, for a little while. And then, then there's a picture of him, like, picking his nose. And, and his whole thing was he was like a uh, I'm a too sexy boy kind of move. So I used to have a picture of, of Raven picking his nose. <laughs> <laughs> and I, God, I wish I still had it. I, I, I don't know. It's got to be somewhere. So I'll have to send you that one as well. It's please do. Yes, yeah. In the uh, as for right now, though, mm-hmm. I want to take us over to Lucha Underground. Yeah, 2016 Lucha Underground. The, okay, this is something. Lucha Underground was made on the El Rey Network, produced by Robert Rodriguez. Their whole thing was they wanted to do cinematic wrestling. Oh, and it's so back, very the, cinematic. That's first oh, of insanely all. Wow. <laughs> the the big thing that sets it apart from other wrestling companies is that the backstage segments, the stuff outside of the actual inside the ring at, uh, action, is shot like a movie. A hundred percent. Like the and the production. You're not value. bound to reality. No, 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 no. The production value on it is phenomenal. Like it's, yeah. And it's great, and they did entire seasons, and everyone was uh, you. You didn't you didn't sign with a company; you got hired to work as an actor. Mm. And uh, I thought it was a really interesting presentation. I actually got to go to a taping once where they filmed oh, about cool. three episodes together. I went to that arena; it was something. It was like this industrial warehouse in Southern California. That makes sense. It was in a bad part of town too. It was like you don't want to hang out outside the building; just get in here where it's safe. <laughs> but um. This brings us to a character, Mil Muertes. Yeah. Now, his backstory, Eddie. Okay. Uh, well, first, let's describe what he looks like. Mil Muertes is like got the classic luchador look. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the lucha mask, like he's El Santo or Blue Demon, and uh, and a pair of long trunks in, like, black and purple. And he's just this massive dude, just yoked as all get out. Yeah, that's a ripped uh, dude. Really intimidating-looking guy. Uh, the idea of the character is that at seven years old in Mexico City, he was the only survivor of a massive earthquake. Okay. Killed every member of his family, everybody who lived in his neighborhood. He was the only one who lived. He lived, somehow survived in a pile of rubble for days. And during that time, he witnessed a thousand deaths. Hence his name, Mil Mortez. Yeah, Mil Mor- what, what a backstory. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I said, it's a very cinematic Lucha yeah. Underground. Um, and what, it, what he discovered is what he was kept alive by an evil sorceress named Katrina. Yeah. Oh, God. Who takes people's souls, but she decided that he was worthy of being her champion. So mm-hmm. uh, so he, you know, grew into this monster, this giant muscular dude, and she was going to use him to take over the Lucha Underground Temple. Mm-hmm. And they ultimately did that. Uh, season two was... Uh, 
was all about that, where she took over. Oh, okay. And uh, and because he won the title, and uh, and they had all the power, and everything was run by them. It was a dark timeline for Lucha Underground. Oh, that's rough. Now the the Vince McMahon of Lucha Underground is a guy named Dario Cuarto. Okay. Love this guy because they just hired like a soap opera actor instead of actually a real life behind the scenes guy. That, that's so this a dude's good move. Fun as shit. Yeah. Absolutely, because he's gonna bring it. And so he has a secret weapon to try and get control of his company back. You know, get control of the temple back from the evil Katrina and Mil Muertes. Mm-hmm. And what is that weapon, Eddie? Is that uh, Matanza? It's Matanza. Matanza. His brother. Yeah. Who uh, basically is Abyss from TNA. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like this tortured guy in a mask and coveralls. So he dresses like a mechanic. He's got a big old black Jason mask on. Yes. And the the best thing is... That both of their managers have the same key around their neck. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> the keys that will control everything. Ugh. And uh, and so Matanza Cuerto, who is basically, they, they book him like he's Jason. He doesn't move around a lot but no. until he's in the ring wrestling. He doesn't speak. You never see his face. One of the main reasons you never see his face is that guy's not Mexican. Oh, yeah? Who is it? Uh, that is a guy named Jeff Cobb, who is... Uh, <laughs> He was an Olympian uh, for who uh, went to the Olympics under the flag of Guam. Okay, and is still currently a wrestler. He wrestles for a couple different companies. Huh. Uh, amazing pro wrestler and a big beefy boy himself. But that's why he went full mask. You okay. actually also know uh, Mil Muertes, Eddie. Oh, I do. You sure do. Mil Muertes is Ricky Banderas. Oh my God. It's our boy Judas. Yeah. <laughs> who has gotten much bigger since his TNA days. Yeah, no shit. And gotten more tattoos. Wow. He still works as uh, as Mil Muertes in Mexico. God damn. Yeah, he got way bigger in the span of... He got fucking yoked. I don't know what kind of uh, what kind of juice he was drinking. But, mm-hmm. uh, Somebody was putting some HGH in the horchata, I guess. Like, Honestly, though, to his credit, dude's like 45 and... Mil Mortez is the best thing he's ever done. Like this dude could fucking go. Yeah. No, he's a yeah, he's he's a beast. Absolutely. So I sent you this match. This is the first time encounter between the two monsters of Lucha Underground. So this is the first time these two guys work together. Uh yeah, absolutely. Huh. They would have a they would have a follow-up match after the clip I sent you okay. because I this, if I recall, the one, the match that I sent you, the encounter ends with a uh, a really shocking moment. Happening. Yeah, yeah. You want you want to describe that, and then I'll tell you where it's, we go in the storyline. It's story so fucking ECW. It's uh, holy <laughs> shit, holy shit. They climb to the top of this big fucking ass tower, and we get a rock bottom through the 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 tower. Yeah, and it, and they end up landing in Dario Cuerto's yeah, office. Yeah, it's phenomenal it's so good oh my god it's crazy and the crowd loses their minds they did not see it would wouldn't you i mean absolutely not god damn Uh, there was another guy uh named angelico he's a south african uh high flyer Mm -hmm. he dove off that tower into the ring holy shit that tower just got like a running start and just dove like like superman flying i mean that's got to be at least 30 feet up that's a big ass tower like it's pretty crazy. Like Lucha Underground went hard. Man. Yeah, it was cool. I really enjoyed that. It's not around anymore. Well, but, yeah, uh, and because a lot of those people dead have... now. So, <laughs> right, they've all died. <laughs> uh, I know that. Uh, I know that Mil Mortez is currently campaigning to get one last ride in AEW, mm-hmm. which would be amazing if he just suddenly showed up. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, like I said, Jeff Cobb still wrestles quite a bit. He's a big, big name on the indie scene as himself, as Jeff Cobb, where he just, you know, he wears a singlet like Kurt Angle and he wrestles. Okay. That's surprising they haven't comes, worked. Comes out to corn, by the way. Nice little touch. <laughs> That's surprising they haven't worked together before this match because they're really good. Like, their chemistry in there is incredible. Oh, they found something there between each other. Yeah, um, it's the follow-up a... to this match was uh, they had a big world title match in a last rights match, which is a casket match. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And that was a that was a hell of an athletic uh, encounter as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really have to check that out because yeah, they're really really good together. I'm glad you enjoyed this one. I I thought it was a nice little touch, and I wanted to show another company we hadn't talked about yet. Yeah, no, Lucha Underground. I think I, I'm definitely gonna to, gonna dip back into. I know it was on Netflix in its entirety for a time, and it was on the El Rey Network. I gotta figure out where it is now. You could find all three seasons of Lucha Underground on the internet. Oh, I'll, like, I'll just find search it. For it. Don't worry. <laughs> and like, because I, I think I told you this in a private message, like characters die in Lucha Underground. Yeah, you got people getting yeah. like, Mortal Kombat fatalities in the locker room and shit like that. It's insane. <laughs> so great. Like Which I love embracing us... that that lunacy and, and the fact that it is a story. I mean, that's of course. Honestly, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. Was uh, wrestling stopped pretending it was real? Yes. Yes. And you can just have fun with it, man. Mm. I don't need to pretend it's a real oh, fight. I, I have mixed martial arts if I want to watch people actually fight. And I don't. No. Because <laughs> I'm a nerd and I want to watch theater. In, and speaking of theater, whew, this next one you sent me. <laughs> what is next on the match playlist? Well, on the match playlist, I've got Finn Balor versus The Fiend. Okay, let me set this up okay. before we get into the match, though. Because, damn. Let's talk about... Let's talk about The Fiend. Yes. Uh, the Fiend was brought in under the character name Bray Wyatt. Yes, yes, Bray Wyatt. Now, Bray Wyatt is the... Do you remember a guy in the 90s named IRS? Yes, I do. That's his dad. Okay. In real life. This is the son of, of famed wrestler IRS. Yes. Um, and uh, he came to the WWE in a character called Bray Wyatt. Well, the first they introduced him as a guy named Husky Harris, and that didn't work, so they repackaged okay. him. Um, Husky Harris was just, you know, a fat guy in cowboy boots trying to do, like, old-school Dusty Rhodes, and it just wasn't working. Yeah, I get um, that. And so I, they... I could see that for, for this for this guy. Oh, totally. But they go back to the drawing board. They repackage him as a Cape Fear-esque cult leader. So he's like a swamp person. He's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and a bucket hat, and he's got, uh, he's got a trucker and a mechanic that he has convinced to join his family. Mm-hmm. So these two massive giants named Luke Harper and Eric Rowan, uh, they wear sheep masks as they walk to the ring. And he just tells these amazing, like, Jake the Snake Roberts-style promos where he's talking quietly and intensely and, like, spouting conspiracy theories. And they do all this shit where they're going back to his compound in the swamp. He's sitting in rocking chairs and talking about his dead sister, Abigail, who told him all these things he knows now. Okay. Uh, Hell of a character. And, like... Super evil guy. Uh, he would come to the ring with, to this like slow, groovy song with like a lantern lighting the way, right. and all the fans in the crowd would turn their cell phones on like there were fireflies in the arena. Yeah, I noticed so just, that. It's like you're out under the stars. Okay. And um, so we do that for a while. Uh, eventually, Tom Savini uh, makes the he redesigns the sheep masks for uh, for Harper and Rowan. Yeah. And so they they end up looking super creepy. You know, they're really pushing like these are this is like Rob Zombie Michael Myers. You know, like these are some real they're seven foot giants, they're all dirty, they look like they eat people, you know? Right. 
and uh, just wandering out of the swamp to, to, to mess people up. Uh, eventually, this this gimmick runs its course. Um, due to, much like the Hulk Hogan problem back in the 80s, you know, John Cena is just plowing through everything, Ugh. and before they really got a chance to get the most out of this horror character that was gaining a lot of popularity, they just had John Cena whoop his ass, and that was that. Okay. And so, like, there was kind of no more menace to him. Right, right. Uh, so, ultimately, they end up having this, like, terrible match called the House of Horrors in 2017 against Randy Orton. Mm. Where Randy Orton went to his compound. He showed up at their Texas Chainsaw Massacre house to fight him. Okay. Uh, and they did, like, no creepy shit. Like, Bray Wyatt's just there at a tank top, like like some guy at a trailer park. And they fight in his kitchen, and he and he drops the refrigerator on Randy Orton. <laughs> Remember the graveyard match? Yeah. So he drops the refrigerator on Randy Orton. A little bit later, Randy gets to the arena first. Oh, God. And he's not selling any of the injuries. He just walks in like, so what I miss, guys? And the whole time when he goes not... to the creepy compound, Randy is not acting afraid of anything. It's just he's completely shitting on this whole thing. Ugh. You can't do that. So, like, uh, yeah. No, you can't. And it wrecks the character. Right. And so they go back to the drawing board. Uh, Harper and Rowan start doing their own thing, not related to Bray Wyatt anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly Bray Wyatt comes back, right? And he's cleaner now. He's got his hair tied back all nice. He's shaved his beard into something more manageable. He's in a sweater. Hmm. With, like, a collared shirt underneath it. Okay. And he's talking like he's Mr. Rogers. Huh. And they had this whole thing where they have the Firefly Funhouse. Okay, where... so that that explains the first part of his intro. Gotcha. Where they, they showed him as the nice guy, as yes. Bray Wyatt. And he's very sorry for all the horrible things he used to do, and he wants to be a good person now. And he's got all these like weird, creepy puppets he talks to. It's really goofy. They do a big Pee-wee's Playhouse-style okay. presentation. And it was really like nothing I'd ever seen before. He's so positive and so nice that it's a little unnerving. That's good. And then we get the reveal. Mm-hmm. When one day he shows up as the Fiend. Yeah. Uh, Tom Savini designs his wicked clown mask he wears. So I dig his mask, and I especially dig the lantern. Now that's something. Remember I mentioned earlier, listeners, that Bray Wyatt would, would hold a lantern yes. to guide him through the dark to the ring. Well, he's got a lantern now, but what's the lantern now, Eddie? Well, it's a dude's fucking head. And specifically, it's the old Bray Wyatt yes, character's head. And the mouth is stretched crazy wide open. And it looked, I remember because I first, because I was watching this specific, the, the Finn Balor versus the Fiend uh, uh, match on the network. And the first thing you see in his intro is the, the weird ass, creepy kids show splash screen. It goes dark. So, you must have been like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I'm like, what the, wait, wait, whoa, what's going on? Because I have no context for this. And then all of a sudden, you see this creepy face, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like, is that... Mouth stretched open? Yeah, is, like, is that a shirt? Is that a mask? What's going on here? Nope, it's a decapitated yeah. head that's been retrofitted into a lantern. Oh, God, and it looks phenomenal. Like, it, it's, he, yeah. He brought this with him when he did a match in Saudi Arabia. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the WWE did a contract with the Saudi prince and did a handful of big shows in Saudi Arabia. A lot of people stopped watching because of it. But uh, kudos to to Bray Wyatt. He's like, no, I'm bringing the severed head lantern. Yeah, I mean you've got to something that dope and yeah. Of course. So this match that I sent you is the first match as the fiend. Because people were like, I yeah. don't know what the fiend is going to even be. Because all we'd seen so far is during these fire, you know, these Firefly Funhouse segments they'd do, uh, there'd be almost like Pazuzu's face in The Exorcist. There'd be sudden flashes of this clown face, and you know, nice guy Bray Wyatt would suddenly like you know furl his eyebrows for a second, like he's really concerned about something. Like, uh oh, <laughs> you right. know, like oh shit, it's going to happen again. Huh. Interesting. And uh, it was interesting. Like, like the, the alter ego does not want to be the Fiend. Right. So so, so we've got the Fiend. What, what's Finn Balor's story? Because he just seems like a heel, bad guy character, I guess. Uh, uh, Finn, Finn Balor was a big star in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He's a guy from Ireland. Okay. And uh, he actually – have you ever heard of a thing called the Bullet Club? No. It was a big, big thing. It's still around now uh, in indie wrestling and in Japanese wrestling. It's like the NWO still exists now, okay. but it's called Bullet Club. Gotcha. And he started that. Huh. Um, and so WWE, of course, to try and cool that off, they, they, they backed up a truck full of money to the leader of the nice. Bullet Club and said, come work for us instead. Yeah. His, but his character seems like – he seems like a douchebag. He kind of is. That's the idea. He's a very cocky guy. He's got you know twelve abs on his torso. He's in amazing shape. No, you know, he's, incredible he's, shape. Great beard, by the he, way. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and he, he's a little guy though. That's the funny yeah. thing. He's just that good of. He's that good of a wrestler though that they put him in with all the heavyweights, even though he would have been a cruiserweight back in WCW. Totally. And, and so then to. Get into their match. The the Fiend, watching his wrestling style, he is very interesting. Uh, uh, tell me. <laughs> what are some highlights for you? Well, Because he did a lot of weird shit as Bray Wyatt, too. Yeah. So, like, I think the first one that caught me was uh, the... He gets whipped into the turnbuckle... And as uh, Finn is going to to charge him, rather than moving out of the way or whatever, he just kind of bends over backward and sticks his head out. Like Finn's like it's the uh, it's like the uh, spider walk from The Exorcist. Yeah, and Finn's like, I don't want to go over there. Like fuck that. <laughs> like that's fucked up. I don't know what to do with this. Right. He he. Uh, I, I don't know. He how also to has it. a has a big move. He does. <laughs> A lot of this is very hard to explain with the things he does. He's really unlike anybody else. Uh, his big finishing moves, called Sister Abigail, he would uh, he would kiss you on the forehead like he's doing a baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before he'd he'd fling his body back and slam your face on the mat. Yeah, that he I don't know like so, he's somewhere between mankind and gold dust for me. In, in a oh, absolutely. weird way. I mean, in this match, he finished it with a mandible claw. Like, literally did the... He only started doing that as the Fiend. Okay, okay. 
that was the new thing now that he's a new character like i need to get a move where i look like i'm killing somebody yeah that's a rough anytime and he does it really well anytime you're stuffing things into a person like that's a <laughs> that's definitely a scary like, move i mean you got a you got basically a you got pennywise you have a demonic clown who's jamming his fingers in your mouth until you pass out yeah it's like that's that goes pretty hard yeah and, and uh I, I would say he is he's definitely an interesting character like i don't know where they have left that they can go with this though honestly yeah th- that's the problem though right is that you've already kind of shot the cannon in inside the house with with the fiend mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact at 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 time of this recording i think he might be the champion but uh, we've had characters show up at the playhouse and fight him there. Huh. Yeah, it's it's really don't do that. Stop doing that. <laughs> you know, let if 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 you have a horror character who exists in another dimension, they're the only one who exists there. Yeah. So that's for probos. I've tried playing some of the new WWE video games. Oh dear. Oh okay. dear lord! I played the newest one. It's abysmal. Well, that one's famous for its glitches. It's f- like that one's not the one to play, right? But th- so, so there was one that the story mode that I was playing was really interesting. In that midway through it, I believe it was uh, the fiend's character Bray Wyatt abducts you. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It okay? That makes sense. Yeah, because you end up doing the weird like I'm running through the forest trying to beat the shit out of this person kind of thing. So, so it just reminded me of a couple of the previous matches. So that makes sense that Bray Wyatt is then the fiend. Interesting. There's a, a recommendation for you okay. if you're interested in the fiend. Uh, last WrestleMania, go on the network and watch. He had a match with John Cena. Mm. It was the closest thing in presentation to John Cena having to fight Freddy Krueger. <laughs> because he used all of John Cena's uh, fears, dreams, and insecurities against him in in a, in a dream world, basically. Wow. Uh, reality didn't matter. He was teleporting. Uh, John Cena had to relive moments from his career. Wow. And uh, it was insane. Uh, al- alternate timelines, they showed John Cena, you know, is in the 80s and he's Hulk Hogan, uh, <laughs> you know, lifting weights and telling people to eat their vitamins. Oh they had God. John Cena join the NWO, uh, and it ends, of course, with suddenly the Fiend. You know, it's just Bray Wyatt, nice guy Bray Wyatt, like, playing mind games with him and making him address all the things that happened in real life and in storyline. And then suddenly Bray disappears, the Fiend arrives and jams his fingers in his mouth, and then John Cena vanishes. I've got to see Like, this. he ceases he ceases to exist, and we didn't see Cena again for... God, have we seen Cena since in the storylines? I don't know if we have. He might be written out of the story now. I've got to see... It's that's, wild. That's like, it's, madness. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen, and I was like, that was fucking brilliant. Huh. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe that. And it was a really mixed reaction from people who saw it. People, Some people... It was a little too heady for some people, I think. Huh. Because it deals, it's all, they used uh, the pressure of having to be John Cena. Yeah, yeah. You know, being the being the Hulk Hogan of right now and having to make all those appearances and the Make-A-Wish thing and having to be an example right. for children and having so much of the fan base turn against you because you have to be this good guy character all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, like, can I keep this up? You know, <laughs> like, how much, you know, it's it's really, there's layers to it that I did not expect from a wrestling segment. 
That's interesting. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out because, like, I love the Hogan turn to the NWO because, like, it made so much sense for his character at the time. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. And just the idea that every time Cena would have enough and try to swing on him, he would literally teleport to a different part of the ring. <laughs> that's fascinating. Like, this is, it's going beyond wrestling at that point. Yeah. He's fighting a ghost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that brings us to right now, and I would just want to go quickly through who's currently carrying the torch for horror characters in wrestling. Yeah, so this is, the, I think, the last one you sent me, which was Dan Well, Housen there's a few people versus... leading up to this. Okay, okay. I'm going to talk about a couple people, and then we'll end on Dan Housen. Uh, so real quick, I just want to talk over in Ring of Honor, which is the company I sent that clip to. I sent that clip to you, uh, my words. That Dan Housen match I sent to you is from Ring of Honor. In yeah. that company, there's a guy named uh, Vinny Marseglia. Okay. Who now goes by the name of Vincent, and he's called the Horror King. Okay. Uh, his his deal basically is he looks exactly like Rob Zombie. He's got the dreads and the graying beard. He wears like the patchwork jeans. Nice. Uh, he's a big horror guy. You know, for a time he used the Michael Myers mask as one of his knee pads. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite. He's starting to put together a, a Bray Wyatt esque cult. You know, he's drawing V's on his palms and he's uh, he's getting people to join. Okay. Him. Okay. Um. He talks very like, you know, I dig what you're saying, man. You know, that so kind of thing. He's doing Charles Manson uh, kind of style. Very Charles okay. Manson. Uh, one of my favorite moments that happened was a guy, he was wrestling, went to get an object out from under the ring, you know, find a weapon of some sort. Mm-hmm. And when he pulled up the apron, a red balloon came out. Uh. <laughs> and that guy was just like, nope, 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 not Fuck going that. under the ring. We're not here. getting anything from under the ring. We're going to keep it in the ring. Peace. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a nice touch. That's good, yeah. So that's... That's Vincent. Uh, over in Impact Wrestling, there's a character named Sue Young, mm-hmm. who is doing another like uh, Asian folklore ghost character. Okay. You know, she has her face all painted, kind of like an evil geisha, and uh, she exists in the undead realm, oh. like a Mortal Kombat character. Gotcha. And has an army of undead bridesmaids that can attack you at any point. That seems unfair. Uh, <laughs> it does. The, the deck is really stacked. Yeah. Uh, you know, she abducted another wrestler on the roster and buried her, uh, that character. And, you know, after being missing for several weeks, came back possessed. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, she abducted some people and took them to the, uh, the undead realm where one of those characters got written out of the company by being murdered there. It, it goes pretty hard. Uh, she had a demon collar match, which is like a dog collar match where, every, you know, two wrestlers are each wearing a collar attached to each other by a chain. Uh, that ended with her opponent throwing her over a stairwell and hanging her. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, that's that's where I would see that going. And interestingly enough, you know, seemingly this killed off the Sue Young character. Huh. Uh, shortly thereafter, a girl named Susie showed up, and it seems to be Sue Young with no recollection of what she used to be, being this, like, you know, uh, kind of childlike, simple, nice person walking around. Mm, that's going to uh, go bad. It already did because <laughs> she got into a fight with, remember the, the lady she had buried as Rosemary, uh, named Rosemary. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a match against her, and Rosemary hanged her again. Uh-oh. And it reverted her back to Sue Young. So oh, each time she shit. dies, she switches characters. Okay, so then what you, they should do is kill her one more time and then leave her alone. Uh, right now, she exists kind of in between, uh, where she is <laughs> okay. she is Susie, uh, but she can turn into Sue Young under great stress. 
Okay, that that that's a good character then. Yeah. Uh, fall back to an earlier part of this episode. She killed James Mitchell. Oh God! The sinister minister popped up and was like, "I'm part of this storyline," and she's like, "Fuck you!" and killed him in the undead <laughs> room. Nice. Uh, so that's Sue Young. She's still going right now. Like I said, she's currently Susie, and she, they're kind of rolling with the Susie character for right now, making her like the wholesome, you know, babyface character. Uh, we just know one day though, she's going to turn back into yeah. Sue Young. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, a couple more uh, over in AEW. Another woman, uh, Abaddon, the Living Dead girl. Okay, she's a zombie. That's it, plain and simple. So she uh, eats people's brains. It, it is implied because she's a very limber, kind of lanky, has a weird, you know, physical style. Okay. But she goes nuts with the makeup. You know, she's like airbrushing herself before each match. Wow. So she's like pale, bone white with like veins, and uh, she puts a different color contact in each eye. She's got one red eye, one blind white eye. Um, and then right before she comes through the curtain, she like, like Gangrel, she takes the goblet and she puts a bunch of red coloring uh, in her teeth, so it looks like she just ate somebody. Nice. And, you know, so much of wrestling is in this male gaze where, like, no matter what your character is as a woman, you've got to be sexy. Yeah. And and Abaddon is like, no, I'm a fucking zombie. I'm gross. Well, that's <laughs> so cool. here you go. Like, I'm going to make you real uncomfortable. Nice. Nice. Cool shit. Um, in uh, Ring of Honor, there's a guy named PCO. It's his real-life initials, Pierre Carl Ouellette. Now, get this. Okay. Uh, in the early 90s, he was in the WWF as one of the Quebecers. Okay, I, yeah, I remember the Quebecers. One of those guys still wrestles now. Wow. Uh, so he's, like, in his 50s. Okay. And, uh, you know, he was a Quebecer for a while. They turned him into a pirate and had him feud with Bret Hart for a bit. Yep, yep. Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Yes, I remember him. And so he disappeared to the Indies for several years, kind of as an old wrestler does. You know, he's kind of not making any money anymore and whatnot until he gets this idea to repackage himself, and he makes himself a horror character. Mm -hmm. The whole idea of him is he's Frankenstein. Oh, God. PCO is not human. He doesn't do, um, like, weird makeup and shit like that, but what he does do is these weird segments, his promo videos, are him getting, like, a car battery hooked up to him to restart his heart. (laughs) And just weird shit like that. And he's okay. just this, like, crazy guy in his early 50s who's doing moonsaults on people. And the whole idea is he's not even alive, so you can't hurt him. Ah, like, the idea okay. that, like, this old wrestler died a long time ago, and this dude, like, jump-started him, and he got him back in the ring. I saw him live at a show in Los Angeles where uh, they pantomimed like he got shot in the head. Shot in the head. There was a character named Officer Dan Barry, and he's an undercover cop. You know, he wears a Hawaiian shirt and some jorts. You know, this company is meant to be kind of cartoony and fun. Okay. Uh, And he has an invisible gun that he pulls if he has to. (laughs) And, and, you know, everyone treats it like it's real. Everyone's ducking for their lives. And uh, one of the bad guys, you know, moved the gun off to the side and accidentally shot PCO in the face. Ooh. Like Marvin in Pulp Fiction. And so, to his credit, as this big, you know, scramble match with, like, ten guys is going crazy, he laid perfectly still on the mat for, like, five straight minutes. <laughs> and then suddenly Hell revived because yeah. he's not human. Did he and do the, the Undertaker went, sit up? Like, he did. He did the nice. Undertaker sit up. And they're like, oh, shit, the Frankenstein came back to life. And then started wailing on people. And the crowd went nuts. Oh, I'm sure. Because you could be a horror character, but not be scary, you know? Like, right. you know, it's, you could be a horror comedy character, which is what we're kind of building toward. Yeah. Um, we have the sort of second coming of Papa Shango in the Midwest and in the South. There's a guy named Mojo McQueen. Okay. Uh, 
he was a his storyline is he was a bounty hunter like Truck Turner, who uh, got oh. bitten by a snake, and when he woke up in the hospital, <laughs> there was a voodoo doll in his bed with him. Okay, and so I now, mean, like you, know, you do, right? Right. Like. And so you got the the dry ice staff, and uh, he can control the lights like the Undertaker, and uh, he wears the skull mask to the ring, and he's a crazy voodoo man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, one last thing before we get to the final guy I want to talk about. There was an indie show last year called Blackcraft Wrestling, which okay. is supposed to be like super black metal, edgy pro wrestling for the indie fans. This sounds like my my move. I'm down. <laughs> it was a shit show. Everything sure. went wrong. Yeah. It was a laughable situation. The big, most famous thing that happened was they got Doug Bradley from Hellraiser to play an evil priest on the show. Oh, my God. Really? And then they had one of the wrestlers slit his throat in front of the live crowd. <laughs> you know, like, you can try, it, you know, it's it's a little too try hard. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, we're so edgy and, 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 you know, we're the horror guys. And everyone's like, dude, this is dumb. What are we doing? That's silly. But I, I love it. And finally, my personal favorite of right now, mm-hmm. let's talk about Danhausen. Yeah, Danhausen versus Rhett Titus. This was a match I sent you. Let me give you a little background on this. Okay. I could there use a, a little background because I saw <laughs> a three-minute clip this? of a guy with a jar full of teeth. Yep. So, uh, please. The idea of Danhausen is there was this wrestler named Donovan Danhausen. Okay. Uh, he's a Canadian guy, you know, working the working the Northeast, working mm-hmm. the working Canada and in the Indies. He's a very good wrestler, like incredibly talented, but he's just sort of you know the the uh, the sort of crossbreed wrestler. He's doing a lot of MMA style stuff. You know, he's in kick pads and trunks, kind of basic. He's got like some your pretty Ken Shamrock or your yeah. Your, okay. He's doing a lot of that stuff plus the high flying, like a Finn Balor would do. Okay. Uh, very similar in style. Uh, so like I say, he's very good, but like, he's not really, uh, he's not getting to that next level that you want to get as he doesn't have a hook. Yeah. There's not really a hook there. And so while people like him, he's not, you know, he knows he's got more to give. And so you got to get a gimmick kid. Yep. And so you may notice he's got this big ass demon face on his chest. Yeah. I did notice that. Yeah. (laughs) Cause he's in real life. He's a, he's a, you know, he's pretty dark dude. You know, he's, he's kind of a gothy guy. He's got, he's a heavy metal kind of dude. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so what can I come up with? And so what he does is he mixes his two favorite things. Uh, his two favorite things being horror movies and the Simpsons. Yeah. And so he, uh, he creates this character Danhausen where he paints his face like Pazuzu from the exorcist. Yes. And, uh, the idea of this character, he has a cape that looks like it's made out of human flesh on one side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of has the posture and the voice of like a Mr. Burns, and he's yeah. sort of this, this lovable, friendly demon is the idea, uh, who fell in love with pro wrestling and has come to Earth as a definitely human pro wrestler. Wink, right. Wink. You know, like he thinks he's fooling people, <laughs> you know, and, uh, named Danhausen and, uh, he has sort of a uh, a speech tick where he will add Hausen to the ends of things. Ugh. So people who like him are the fan Hausens. Uh and you know, he has a jar of teeth Hausen. Uh, yeah. It's a lot. He's a he's a he's a, a a smiling cartoon character who is also very, very dark. No, I get it. Like I, I get it. It's just like wow. <laughs> And it, it, it makes for a very fun character because he doesn't realize that all these things about him are horrifying. Right. 
Like, he's just here to have a good time and wrestle and see his friends. But, like, he's a demon, so cape made of human flesh, carrying around a jar of teeth. But, like, he'll yell at you if you swear at him. Yeah, he got very <laughs> pissed off at somebody swearing oh, at him. You don't swear. My under- It's never flat out established, but the heavy implication is that the teeth is a swear jar. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that and was that- actually called out in this Oh, match. did they talk about it in that match? Yes. I couldn't remember. yes. That, that's the idea, is that, like, somewhere as in his travels, he's ripping people's teeth out for swearing. Mm-hmm. And so we watched this match. It was his first big match in Ring of Honor, which he's not even officially signed to yet. Um, he's probably going to be soon, though. He's gaining a lot of popularity. Makes they have sense. not signed him, but they have sold a T-shirt that says Ring of Housen on it with his face. <laughs> I have, actually, some of his merch. I've bought a couple T-shirts from him. One of them is the... Uh, Bella Lugosi's dead album cover, but they, he's photoshopped his smiling face over the oh, bat. Oh, that's so perfect. I'll send you a picture of that. It, yeah. it, the shirt's called Danhausen is Dead, and instead of the title of the album, it says Love That Danhausen on it, which that's he got from the 89 Batman movie, the Love That Joker. Right, yeah. That, that's very good. <laughs> and so, tell me, how, how did you like this match? I think he's a phenomenal wrestler. Honestly, Absolutely. he's incredible incredible um because he's very goofy like he he knows what his his role is in in the match and i i don't know like just some some of the stupid shit he was doing like some of his apron work was oh the the apron thing i should explain oh god Um, it was so good because i don't think ring of honor had the rights to the music that accompanies that bit okay um, he invented this once when he was doing a, an indie show at a bar. Yeah. And so during the match, he suddenly jumped up on the bar. Mm-hmm. And then the PA system starts playing tequila. Of course, yes, exactly. And he does the full-on Pee Wee Herman at the biker bar. He just starts <laughs> dancing. And every time his opponent is like, what the fuck are you doing? And goes to lunge at him, he kicks him away and keeps dancing. Yeah. Uh, until ultimately it leads to da 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 and he kicks the guy in the face and everyone goes tequila yeah it <laughs> and you it can, slays it dude it oh my god it was so good as as far as like having the crowd behind you and and performing to the crowd this guy is probably one of the best i've ever seen he's phenomenal he's one of my absolute favorite wrestlers <laughs> currently working on the indies uh he also works for black label pro that i mentioned earlier so if you check that out black label pro is a great mix of like the best serious wrestlers and the best gimmicky comedy guys Mm -hmm. um yeah the jar of teeth situation for anyone doesn't know he carries a jar a mason (sighs) jar full of human teeth and there'll be a spot in each match where he will grab you pull your head back pour the jar into your mouth and then kick you in the face (laughs) and then you so that you spit out the teeth that's the big like comic book it's so good it's phenomenal and yet his moves even though he's this goofy cartoon character all of his moves are very high impact yeah so So like he'll flip into the ring and then hit you with a quick german suplex and then like pick you up and then ddt you real quick that german suplex that he threw oh my god so so when i was saying like there might be another wrestler in here that's a better quote better like on paper wrestler it's it's him yeah this oh guy my god, is, I'm so glad that this was your favorite guy of all the no, guys I showed you. No, he is phenomenal. I would love to go see this dude perform. Just just because He was actually booked to come to Southern California for two oh, shows, god and then the pandemic it. hit. It was going to be his debut uh, on the West Coast. 
I want to go see this dude perform because he's so incredible. Like, and he gets it and it's goofy and, and it's so perfect. It's the perfect amalgamation, right? It's like the the most fun, silly character. That's just, you don't even have to watch him wrestle. Honestly, he has a Patreon that you can follow where he does like all kinds of, he has his own like late night talk show that he does (laughs) out of like his basement. Um, of course he does. uh, It's amazing. The stuff he does. Um, He'll, like, review snack foods because, bear in mind, he's not from this existence. Right, yeah. And so being a creature from hell, he's never had a Twinkie, and so you get to see him react to that. (laughs) Uh, It's just you want to see him do everything. You you, you want to watch him wrestle, but you also just want to watch this goofball go through life. Yeah, I I, Um, I get his bit, and, and it's perfect. Like. It's fantastic. Uh, he and uh, his close personal friend, uh, another guy, Jake Parnell, has rebranded himself as a character called Warhorse, and they're the two hottest things on the indies right now. Okay. Uh, Warhorse is an '80s metal fan, so he yeah. wears the denim like battle vest, and he paints his face with like the two. He looks like a pit fighter character. It's like black Ultimate Warrior makeup, oh, and he God. headbangs. Yeah. Uh, and the so these two occasionally team up as Warhausen. Okay. Uh. And uh, they were going to have their own branded independent wrestling show the weekend of WrestleMania, but it got canceled by the, uh, the, the COVID outbreak. Yeah. The show was called WrestleVania. <laughs> of course it was. And they oh made a poster God. slash t-shirt where uh, they reenacted the re- the Castlevania yes. cover art yep. with uh, Warhorse uh, holding a turnbuckle attached to the ropes instead of the whip and <laughs> Danhausen's face in the sky. <laughs> It's astounding. That's perfect. Uh, they're they're phenomenal, both of these, as because they're both amazing wrestlers and have developed these characters that are just so goddamn fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. No, and they're they're the future, honestly. They're it's just a matter of time before both of those guys are signed to like a big company. You know, uh, I know Warhorse has worked AEW for a match, and Danhausen's doing his Ring of Honor thing, but I feel like neither guy has peaked yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Danhausen's really really good. Like. God damn. He's amazing. He's so good. He he, uh, he comes out to the ring to Ramstein, of all things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> With a German last name like that, of yeah. course. <laughs> but uh but yeah, I'm really glad you enjoyed that. I'll have to I'll have to send you more Danhausen stuff. Totally, totally. But, uh, but uh I think that covers the gamut of the people I wanted to talk about. We, t- we I took us from 1991 all the way to right now in the world of uh horror and wrestling. I think there's always going to be horror characters in wrestling to varying degrees of success. Yeah. Um I think right now we're in a, with Danhausen with Abaddon with Sue Young with The Fiend. I think we're at a we might be at a peak right now for horror in wrestling because there's a lot of people who are getting way over with their mm-hmm. horror characters. Mm-hmm. We've definitely come a long way since uh, Seven. So, uh... <laughs> oh, Seven. When Goldust got repackaged as a levitating child molester? Question mark? Uh, uh, yeah. He's doing his promo videos outside of a kid's bedroom. It was weird. Did not work well. We, we've come a long way since then. Uh, so, Bobby, thank you sure. so much. I hope this me. was fun for the for the non wrestling fans listening. I'm sure it will be, but I, I want you to get all of this out of your system before before we have to go because I know it's going to be a minute before you can talk about wrestling again. Who historically has been your favorite face character? My favorite baby face character mm-hmm. is a Japanese wrestler named Hayabusa. Okay. 
uh, he is a he was a massive. He's no longer with us, but he was a massive uh, high flyer. He invented a ton of flippy moves and uh, a ton of really cool suplexes. Uh, he wore like a mask that covered his mouth, looked like a bird, and he was just the heart and soul of this company called FMW. Uh, just the quintessential good guy character. Just a just a just bravely running in to fight whoever the big bad was that came in. That was that was my favorite overall. Um, as a child, I was very into uh, two guys. It was the Ultimate Warrior, of course. Of course, yeah. Um, and uh, the Blue Blazer. <laughs> oh, rest in peace, the Blue Blazer. Yes, may may he rest in peace. Uh, don't really care if Ultimate Warrior rests in peace. <laughs> um, yeah, he wasn't a good that person. That was a piece of shit. But, but Owen Hart. But Owen Hart was, was and it's tragic yeah. that he died. But I loved Owen Hart in all of his forms. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Your favorite heel? Ooh, that's a tough one. Oof. My favorite heel. Uh, you know, honestly, it's a weird choice. But I, as a child, I gravitated very hard to Bad News Brown. Okay, I get that. Because during the cartoonish rock and wrestling era of the 80s, when everybody was just loud, turned up to 11, there was just this one dude in black trunks and MMA gloves who was looking around like, this is stupid, what's wrong with all of you? And uh, and he did that kick to the back of the head called the ghetto blaster. So yeah. it's just like I like this. I like the straight man. You know, you need a you need a an abbot to go with all these Costellos. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good choice. And so a scowling man who's just not into it was uh, was just really appealed for some reason as I was a kid. That that's a good choice for a heel is somebody who just takes the energy out of, of the face or the other heels also. So. Yeah. Your, your favorite valet or manager? Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Without without question. The Heenan family, he was an amazing bad guy uh, manager character, and he could he could do anything when you hand him a microphone. Mm-hmm. And aside from Heenan, who cuts the best promos? Or did? Oh. Jake the Snake Roberts. Ooh. Really? Because... Because during an era when everybody was screaming and shouting and you know climbing the walls, you know I love Macho Man as much as the next guy, but uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, no one else, especially at the time or really effectively since, could just bring it down like this and just quietly explain to you, and you find yourself like leaning forward toward the screen, like holy shit, this guy might kill somebody. That's true. You know? and he was just ice cold, man. I really, I really enjoyed hearing that. Like there was something about that that was just so different. As you could tell, there's a pattern here. I like people who like bucked the norm. Yeah, yeah. See, I was a big Cornette fan for cutting promos. Like, I don't know. Oh sure, his, sure. How fast he was, his pattern. Like, I mean, say what you will about who he is nowadays and his kind of. Yeah, I mean, the talking, real life doesn't matter. We're talking about characters. Yeah, talking shit about the industry. He he was phenomenal back in the day. And your favorite finisher? My favorite finisher of all time, I would say, is the Orange Crush. Okay. Uh, the Orange Crush uh, starts off as a vertical suplex. And then once you get a guy at the peak up above your head, you throw him forward and you drop him into a seated powerbomb. Oof. That's a rough Speed one. Speed up by a, a Japanese wrestler named Kenta Kobashi. That's a rough one. Uh, what would be yours, eh? DDT. Oh, classic. It's, uh, you know it's... that was invented by accident? No, I didn't know that. Jake the Snake was giving a guy a headlock, and he fell on his ass and accidentally dropped the dude on his head and knocked him out in the match. So he's just like, well, I, I pinned him. Well, yeah. And that became my finishing move. Yeah, I mean, and Jake the Snake, 
I know he created it. I didn't know it was an accident. But then, then of course, Raven was so modeled after Jake the Snake. And, and yeah, the Raven had flow. such energy to it, though. Like, that had so much more impact, the way he'd snap back with it. Yeah, if you ever um, listen to his podcast when he talks about selling a DDT, he'd always tell people to stick it rather than flip around him. Because he said if you flip around when you land the DDT, it looks like there was actually no impact that happened. It looks like a suplex, right? But if you Oh, completely. Unless, like, Rob it, Van Dam does a headstand. That's a different one. Yeah, yeah, totally. He said that the, the his favorite person to do a DDT to was uh, Kidman, actually. Because Kidman could sell a DDT like no one else. Oh, yeah, it was like he got knocked unconscious. Yeah. He just went, like, yeah. he went limp. Yep. And just, like, crumpled, <laughs> down, folded like a lawn chair. Yeah, yeah. Um uh this has been this has been great eddie all right i really enjoyed this well, I, I hope it was enjoyable for the listeners and I, uh, and not too not too in the woods of wrestling nerddom no nah, i think it, i think it was great i just wanted you to get it all out of your system and bobby is there <laughs> anything you want to promote for the end of this i mean well you've already done done plenty of that you've talked about uh, our show the grind bin mm-hmm. which you you appear frequently on you're a member yeah. of the grind bin family of course patreon.com uh, slash the grind bin Absolutely. Uh, Grindbin Podcast, you know, you could like us on Twitter. Uh, I'm sorry, like us on Facebook, hate us on Twitter, and be indifferent to our Instagram. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. I'll let you get some sleep now. Oh, I appreciate that, Eddie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to come back again with another topic sometime. 